Welcome, welcome to another exciting episode of Fantasy Tavern. And this week, I am very excited to be joined by another super secret special surprise guest. And um, we're finally ready to get things rolling. So before we get started on today's podcast, I'm just going to pass it over to you. You can introduce yourself, let everyone who's listening just know a little bit about yourself before we get started. Hello, my name is Sarah and I am a dungeon master and a D&D player. <laughs> I, uh, I also am a performing arts artist in the general uh, GTA and I am super excited to be here uh, with Marita today. Yeah. I am very excited too. So uh, the reason that I really wanted Sarah to be part of our podcast today is because we have a very special month of Halloween content to bring to you guys, uh, both audio and visual, and today's topic is Dungeons and Dragons related, so I wanted to have somebody who is very knowledgeable in that respect to come in and chat with us about both the, just the ins and outs of the game and also how it relates to our Halloween-themed tie-in topic, which is Satanism and the Satanic Panic. Uh, But before we get started on that, uh, we just wanted to point out some of the cool uh, drip that we've got that we're rocking today, both of us. So uh, if you want to start with your shirt. Yeah, mine says Full Moon Magic, and I was gifted this uh, for uh, a gift by my friend Nicole. Awesome. And uh, if you want to share, I guess, like your inspiration for wearing your, your shirt today? Yes, this is based on one of my favorite uh, D&D characters. Her name is Cece, and she is a blood hunter werewolf, or a blanket. Awesome. And I decided to dress up today as none other than Eddie Munson from this season of Stranger Things available on Netflix. So um, I somehow managed to find a Hellfire t-shirt. It was a baseball sleeve t-shirt too, which I was super excited about. Um, I tried to kind of do as best I can with a super quick um, cosplay of the character. Uh, I found some rings today at Valley Village to kind of complete the look. Um, these are not real bangs, they are clipped, so don't worry guys, I didn't give myself bangs, I'm not, I'm not that crazy yet. (laughs) And, um, I had a t-shirt that I was gonna put as a back patch for the vest, but that's gonna happen later when I do some more videos with this later. But I actually found, at Valley Village today, a Stranger Things t-shirt. Which is like a gorillas style animation. Ooh. So it's supposed to be like the album cover for the gorillas, the band, but it's uh, the four main characters from the D and D group in Stranger Things. So um, what are their names? Mike, Will, Lucas, and Dustin. So that'll get possibly turned into a backpatch for this later, but I might just kind of try and pin it creatively because it's a really cool shirt, and I kind of want to just keep it to wear. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was a cool little find today. Uh, yeah, Valley Village for all your cosplaying and LARPing and Halloween needs. Always yeah. a good, always a good spot. Yeah. So, um, basically, 
the part of the reason why I wanted to do this as a topic this month, um, I feel like Dungeons and Dragons has come back into fashion. It's it's become very popular. Huge. It's very mainstream now. Um, whereas before, it was very much like an under more of an underground thing. Um, not too many people really knew about it, and um, now it's become kind of like enmeshed in pop culture. So I think it's a really good topic to bring up in terms of pop culture podcast um, to let anybody who still doesn't know what Dungeons and Dragons is to kind of give them some knowledge about what that is and how much of an impact and an influence it's had on all of the pop culture stuff that we really enjoy kind of in more modern times now. Um, also, because of the fact that a lot of places in the world are um, sort of veering more towards fundamentalist religion, which uh, is a little, a little scary, a little frightening, um, and some of these themes of considering Dungeons and Dragons and other games and uh, entertainment like it to be synonymous with kind of um, negative goings-on um, relating to religion, Christianity, the occult, Satanism, and all of that stuff. I think that that's also on the rise again, and with like the banning of a lot of different books and different games and different movies and things like that, um, in, in very many respects, I think that it's, it's a topic that could be spoken to, because um, it's very possible that sort of thing could happen again. It's already kind of happening, right? So... Uh, looking into kind of why people decide to um, select something like Dungeons and Dragons as a negative influence to the point where it's satanic and kind of the origins of that as well as the origins of the game and the positive parts of it. Um, like, so I guess as a disclaimer, I'm, not, I'm in no means saying that I think that Dungeons and Dragons is satanic at all. Um, it's not, to me, it's just a game. Um, I've played it a few times myself, and I, I found it to be very enjoyable. Um, there's a lot of different archetypes in it. I think there's a lot of positives and negatives and of criticisms that you can make about it, but I certainly wouldn't say that it's going to um, turn anybody, especially children, to like be legions of, of Lucifer or anything like no. that. No. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, like if, if you're of the opinion that certain things like that are actually the case... Um, hopefully we can change your mind with this podcast. Um, this is very much a and d fan. Um, so perhaps we're a little bit biased, but I think as, as somebody for myself who also grew up very religious, I think I can sort of speak for, to experience of why that wouldn't be true and sort of my, my takeaways on that as well. Um, and, and also to bring you and Sarah, because you are definitely know a lot more about it than me and um, can try and talk, I guess, to your personal experience about how you got into it as well and, and your opinions on that too. Yeah, for sure. So yeah. Um, so before we continue, I'm going to, I'm going to take off some of these layers because I'm hot. I'm already like, <laughs> I'm sorry I can't commit to the full costume right now the second, but I am like burning up right now. Sorry, one second. It's all good. <laughs> all right. How does he do this? Hi. Well, who, who plays him? What's his name again? Joseph Quinn. Oh, I'm say. so bad. I haven't I even. Uh, his name. <laughs> I haven't even caught up with uh, this season yet. <laughs> I, I'm really. I'm only halfway through it myself. Yeah. Um, I'm. Where, what episode was I on? I was only on the episode where Eleven like just got back with uh, Paul Reiser, whatever the hell his name, his character name is, mm -hmm. the doctor guy, and she meets 
um, the original her her like handler guy mm-hmm. for the for the first time again, and they're gonna do like the '80s training montage of like giving her her powers back and whatever. At least I'm hoping it's gonna be an '80s training montage because if not, I'll be very disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm just imagining it like Karate Kid style, <laughs> like, <laughs> um, and. Uh, so that's kind of where we're at, and then that's that's basically where uh, they've also just found Eddie again. He just came back in the picture, and um, he's like stuck. They're they're like trying to keep him from going in public because obviously everyone's looking for him because they think he is responsible for the death of. Um, and this this ties into what we're going to talk about in a second. Uh, it ta- uh, they think he's responsible for the death of this cheerleader in town who was killed by the demonic forces of the Upside Down, who there's like a, a portal to their world that's been opened up through Eleven, through her telekinetic, like, powers or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then, not only do they think he has something to do with it, but the boyfriend of the dead cheerleader thinks that he's responsible for starting a satanic cult through his Dungeons and Dragons group, and they've basically, now that the second kid has been found dead, they're convinced they're basically like serial killer cult, a satanic serial killer cult that's going around killing teenagers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're going to we're gonna speak to that a little bit because um, there's a lot that I found out through the research of this, that uh, things about Stranger Things and about the, the inspiration and the origin of the story that I, I had no idea about until I started looking into this topic. I feel like I'm going to um, learn a lot as well. <laughs> okay, so we're both, this is how we learn. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a great experience. I'm excited. <laughs> Um, so, and and that's why, like, I love kind of doing deep dives on stuff like that, too. So I think just in general, if you, if you like true crime, if you like, um, the occult, if you like nerdy stuff, then I think this, this will check a lot of boxes for everyone who, who's tuning in now. So, um, we're going to start, um, oh, I guess, I guess I'll just do a little shout out to our snacks and drinks quickly before... We get started. Uh, it's nothing too crazy this week. Uh, because of um, Eddie's humble um, existence, uh, living in a trailer, I assumed that he'd basically be living off of Pabst Blue Ribbon mm-hmm. and maybe a lot of canned food. Um, so, I mean, we're, we, we ordered some pizza. Sarah was awesome enough to order some pizza, yep. which is on the way. So we may take a little quick break and grab the pizza. But um, I'm I'm rocking with some PBR tonight, and uh, you got the Lola, right? Yeah, the limited edition Lola Red. The Lola Red for spooky vibes. For the spooky, (laughs) for the spooky. I was just gonna say it's just the chalice of blood. Yeah, (laughs) we're doing the ritual sacrifice. Yeah, but you know, if you're if you're a redneck and you live in a trailer, sometimes you just have to make do with what you have. So yeah. Oh, and our sign for the week. So uh, we came up with a sign for this week. Um, trying to think about uh, if Satan were to be part of a D&D group, part of a D&D campaign. Uh, I think we agreed that Satan would be a bard. Yeah. Yeah, definitely bard energy. <laughs> and this looks this reverse, but it will be right Or a side. bard lock. Like a bard warlock multi-class. Bard warlock, yeah. yeah. He has like the inherent powers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that for sure. I'll get out of here. Uh, I don't think that will affect anything. <laughs> so our sign today is Satan. Roll for charisma. <laughs> Not that it, I mean Satan probably doesn't need too much help. I think Satan's already pretty charismatic, but why not? <laughs> probably just have a very high natural 
roll. Probably intelligence, too, I would think. Because in terms of, I don't know if, if Satan would be a necessarily a, a very, phys need to be a very physically strong person, right? Satan's very much like mental games. Yeah, there's there's a lot of different ways uh, you can necessarily play bards or, or play warlocks. They, there's very um, mm -hmm. there's very different cool aspects of, of each uh, different build. And I have generally every time that I've played a warlock uh, recently, I just started playing a hexblade warlock, which is very much a martial class, but... Okay, so uh, it's using weaponry as well as... Yes, because it's well the idea casting. of, like, the cursed sword. You're basically... Oh, okay. Uh, your patron you is a cursed your... object, essentially. Okay. And uh, you're using it to fight your enemies, but also um, you made some kind of pact with this, this cursed object, uh, which takes the form of either, cool. like, a sword or, or whatever you want it to be. There's different uh, types of weapons. Oh, okay. Uh, it's very anime. It sounds, like, yeah. it sounds a little like some animes that I've watched. It's yeah. Like, it's, like, not exactly a weapon, but it's, like, an energy. More yeah. Like a um, manifestation. Yeah, and okay. Hexblade Warlocks are one of those broken classes that <laughs> you can basically uh, punch out a lot of uh, damage if you add the right feats and uh, give them the right, right equipment. Uh, but cool. the way I have played Warlocks before, too, is I've tried to lean into the traditional, like, chaotic evil type of, like, uh, puppet yeah. master, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know... Uh, gonna... Because otherwise, what fun is it? Yeah, exactly. Villains are way more fun to play <laughs> yeah. than the characters. Um, but yeah, it's, uh... Villain era. Yeah. Everyone's in their villain era anyway. <laughs> so, eh, why not? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, so we're kind of veering off, like, um... We're yeah, already... We're explaining some of the aspects of the, um of uh, uh, the different skills and stuff like that. But let's let's start right from the beginning, back at the at the start. Yeah. So let's do a, just a brief, um, ex like, what would you say as your example, of as your description of what to tell somebody who's never played Dungeons & Dragons before, kind of just a brief explanation of what it is? Uh, that's really, I mean, it's really complicated to kind of, depending on what type of a campaign you're playing, I've always, uh, I've always been a part of what's called homebrew campaigns, which mm -hmm. is basically where you take uh, the game system or the source material that's been put out uh, by various companies and the DM sort of adapts it to their own flavor. Um, okay. But basically D&D is a game where um, you have different aspects of the game. You have a role-play experience, which uh, is, I would say, more heavily leaned into these days than it has been traditionally, because before mm -hmm. it was just, you have a piece of paper, you have your stats that you build before the game in, like, a session zero, and then uh, you kind of develop their character. And I typically use D&D Beyond because it's a very easy system. Uh, you plug in what your class is, uh, the first seven characters, I think it is, don't quote me on that, <laughs> that you make uh, are free and it's, it's really easy okay. uh, to build your character in a way uh, that isn't overwhelming. Because I sometimes find uh, if you 
pick up a book, you know, it's it's really hard to get into, okay, I need to get through all this these stats and this mm-hmm. math and stuff to kind of adapt this character. So really, I, I think there's two ways you can uh, typically build a character. You can either open the book, uh, the beginner's manual, and do it step by step by reading through yeah. the book. But if you're a beginner and you don't know where you're starting, I really recommend generators like D&D Beyond that you just plug in. I didn't in. really know much about... Um I I know about um, places where you can play online through, um, like, a site where you can all get on, on, like, a headset and then play a game, like, remotely. Yeah, I find the internet has really revolutionized the way we play D&D, especially through the pandemic. Yeah. Um, But I... But I I didn't know that's actually really helpful, because, like, I kind of learned based on, yeah, you have, like, like, as you're saying, a session zero, you get some dice... You roll for all your stats. Yeah. If you don't like them, you can roll again, like yeah. one more time. Like it's kind of you're you have a witness to make sure you're not gonna like fudge your rolls, fuck your stats, and then you um it's kind of flesh out a, sl- a slight backstory for your character based on what you know about them from all of your manuals. Like you want to stay within what's realistic for the race and class you're choosing, but also add some you know. Razzle dazzle. Exactly, and different um, races have different benefits, so it's easy, I find, sometimes to get overwhelmed with all this information. And I find that if you're a beginner and you just want to put a character together, it's really easy to find websites like these where you just punch in what you want and then it spits out a character for you, or mm-hmm. you just uh, randomize through this generator, you know, uh, whatever level you're playing and just hit randomize and it does it all for you. So uh, it depends on what what type of a session zero I guess you want to play, whether it's something that you want to go through the book and build it yourself or whether you just go online and go, bam, you know, and there's my character. No, and that's cool. Like, I think that would be good for beginners, for people who are, like, pressed for time, for people who don't want to, like, overthink their character and just want to, like, Get a, get a starting point done so that they like, just have it ready. Like, I think that's really cool. Yeah, and I think so, everybody has a different play style. Yeah. Like, some people really get into... I know when I've been a player, I've driven my DMs crazy because I send them, like, ten pages of backstory because I just... No, no. People I used to play with were pretty intense. Like, so I, I get it. Like, if you have ideas for what you want and you're really ready to, like, commit to uh, having, like, a, a fully rounded and thought out character as well as like um thinking ahead of because that, that's going to influence everything you do that's going to influence how you attack that's going to influence how you yeah how you go through the game in terms of like interacting with you know your npcs and stuff like that everybody yeah everything um so basically in terms of in in in, in terms of uh if um this wasn't already clear. So Dungeons, Dungeons and Dragons, like the original game, it takes place all in your imagination, essentially. And you use tools such as a character sheet, dice, figurines, yeah, etc. to and... kind of help. That, that's, that's correct. That's how far as I understand, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so basically you have like... Uh, either grid paper or like a dry erase uh, map and that's traditionally how you play it is at a table with other players 
and the DM has like a screen that covers all of their information from the other players and you sort of immerse yourselves in this world together and collectively tell a story, which is really what I like about the game is that you're kind of working together to tell this story collectively as a group. Nice. And um, I guess uh, the group that you're playing with would be, um, I don't know what you would call like the, the I guess your D&D group that you would be playing yeah, with. Yeah, your adventures. Your know? adventures, I guess like your, um, I know it's called like a campaign is generally like what you would refer to as um, the initial game as a whole that you decide to start playing. Yeah. Uh, because the typical D&D game doesn't just last, like, one sitting. It, it will go for multiple, um, you know, you'll meet every week to, like, pick up where you left off. Um, yeah. And certain campaigns can go, like, indefinite amounts of time. Yeah, and uh, it's... Things like that. It's however long you want it to go. So if you have this huge story that you're trying to tell, you know, you're going to have different arcs and different plot ideas. Or you can just do a one-shot, which is basically, like, a short, here's the bad guy, your goal is to do this, go fight it, you know? Right. And, and that's just, like, a quick two- to four-hour little one-shot. Uh, okay. where you finish the campaign in one setting, or you can do a huge story where, you know, I, I've been in a campaign as a player that we've been doing amongst my friend group for the past two years, so yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, where we just meet, you know, whenever we can, and uh, I've been writing my own campaign for, like, the last couple months as well, so I just, uh, it's however long you want to do it, basically. Exactly. So, um, that's usually determined by your dungeon master, the number of players that you have, and everybody's sort of schedule, and I guess sort of, um, I guess what kind of, um, what kind of game you want to play in terms of, um, what you're looking to, what you're, I guess, kind of the vibe you're feeling that day. Yeah. In terms of, uh, and it really yeah. shouldn't be called Dungeons and Dragons. It should be called Schedules and Conflicts. Right. <laughs> Especially yes. the older you get. <laughs> the older you get. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I think uh, Pandemic was probably like, as much as this kind of sucks to say, a lot of people who played D&D probably really liked the Pandemic. Oh because, my gosh, it was like everybody's The only dreams. time everybody <laughs> has free time to be that. We were like, every Not day. Person. Not in person, of course. <laughs> yeah. all, all online. All remote. Yeah. But yeah, see... This is what, like, the one time people have free time to play and everyone's supposed to stay at home. <laughs> yeah. And people <laughs> flipping their tables. I can just imagine. Like, literally, that's where we got into it. And it was like yeah. every day you were just on the edge of your seat to kind of find out what happens next. And I think the reason that Dungeons & Dragons became as culturally embedded as it did was because a lot of people during the pandemic gravitated towards that and mm -hmm. that was like the thing that they looked forward to like I know me with my Dungeons and Dragons journey like that as as you know something to look forward to you know at the end of every week or every other day where you were playing together ah oh, pizza's here all right guys we're gonna be right back um right back. I know we just got started but there's pizza so Hold that thought. I'm gonna go grab that. We'll be right back. We're gonna keep filming, yeah. by the way. I'm just gonna keep it going. Yeah. It's like she clocked it was here before it even hit the door. <laughs> 
Thank you. Pizza. 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 Uh, get that pizza. Pizza, wake up. Pizza is, wakes me up. Is it? <laughs> pizza wakes me up. <laughs> I feel like that is actually accurate. I feel like I've actually been like passed out cold and someone's mentioned pizza and I've actually. And you're like, up. what? It was like, oh, pizza word? Um, surfer boy pizza. Yeah. Just like a Stranger Things. <laughs> they're, they're, they're funny friend Argyle. Yeah. They're, they're AKA their friend who smokes mad weed. Argyle. <laughs> Yeah, don't mind me just like digging in because I oh, love no, pizza. Oh no, please, please do. We're gonna we're gonna continue as we as we go here. Let me just check how we are doing for time. <laughs> we can talk for a few more minutes about dungeons, just Dungeons and Dragons mm-hmm. related stuff. Because um, so we've gone through just the basic idea of kind of what it is and the sort of structure of how it is. So you've got your group of people. You've got your dungeon master. You you typically are. Uh, gathered around some kind of table or like central setting Mm -hmm. it's usually somebody's like living room or basement or whatnot is is like the um general usually what (laughs) what you think of when you think of people meeting for dungeons and dragons um everybody picks a character based on a class from a list of different classes, um, and I think that varies based on the version you're playing, as far as I understand, right? Yeah, there's, oh my gosh, there's so many versions out right now. The most popular version is version 5e, I want to say. Okay, yeah. But they just uh, launched this new um, one D&D playtest version, which I still need to read up on, because it's apparently expanding on a lot of stuff for different classes. (laughs) Right, because like the game is like constantly changing, and like we're, we're making revisions to things. And yeah. hey, Mister Man, we got your street. <laughs> oh my Guess goodness! Guess who's here, guys? Phobos, come here, buddy. Oh, hello, say hi. Oh, Mister Man. Oh, we're so cute. So soft. What a softy boy. He's trying to eat our pizza. Mm-hmm. He's not allowed. Yeah. That's okay, Mister. You'll get some more food later. Um. Yeah. So. Yes, because um, from from what I was because I, I was trying to look up some stuff to kind of refresh my memory about mm-hmm. you know general Dungeons and Dragons stuff. So there's like your basic Dungeons and Dragons. There's like your advanced Dungeons and Dragons, mm-hmm. and then there's um, of course like the different editions and stuff that are used that, that yeah. are also constantly being changed. There's there's um, also like offshoot kind of versions of Dungeons and Dragons because there's yeah. like the main like trademarked copyrighted Dungeons and Dragons, like Wizards of the Coast Dungeons and Dragons, mm-hmm. and then there's like some other versions that are kind of like out there yeah. as well. But they're all basically kind of the same idea. You've got it's not a video game, it's not on the computer, it's it's all in you've person got or online. Pen or pencil. Yeah. Or like the most online you're gonna be doing is like probably through remote through a headset or something, right? Yeah. Using like a middleman site to uh, generally Mainly just as far as my experience with it was just for your, um, if you're using any kind of visuals and stuff like that. Yeah, and you can do combinations. Like, you can, basically what we just do is kind of what we're doing right now, which is basically get in, like, if you're playing online, you can get into, like, Google Meets and do, like, a group video chat. Mm -hmm. And then you can physically, like, in real time, either roll your dice at home by yourself 
or you can use a site like D&D Beyond or Roll20 where you can actually like punch in your rolls and the computer just does it for you. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's a good adaptable game. Depending on how much of a purist you are if you really like using physical dice. Like me. <laughs> so let's, let's talk about that because that's a very crucial part of the game and a lot of the visual part that they focus on in things like Stranger Things is like the the dynamic suspense of throwing the, the dice. dice. Yeah. And they actually equate it in the show to like they have the split scene of, of the other former member of the group making like the zero timeout at the like last quarter like game changing mm-hmm. bucket in the high school basketball game. Yeah. And it's it's like juxtaposed like it's almost like a sporting event with like the very last like most critical like important <laughs> Mr. Man, okay here. I give you some bread. Do you like cheese? Don't tell anyone I'm doing this. Come here. Here you go. That's not supposed to get treats. I never give him I say I never give him treats to it. I like always do. Um so <laughs> and um thinking you're all stealthy, Mr. Rogue down there. <laughs> you're stealth. You're not slick, okay? No. Um, so basically, uh, you've got like. Um, I want to talk about the dice really quick too, because that's mm-hmm. like a very important part of actually playing the game. You achieve a lot of what goes on in the game through mm-hmm. a series of dice rolls using different kinds of dice. So you were kind enough to bring my dice bag of this in your dice bag of holding. So I got um, this off of Etsy. It's really cute. It's, it's really cute. It's my little bag of holding. <laughs> it's the small one. There's a bigger one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this yeah. is the travel size. This is the travel size bag of holding. Um, and this is not actually magical, uh, but it does carry my my dice, which I don't know if you can see it here. Ooh. But, uh, yeah. And I like the skull ones. I love these. I got these off Etsy too. Uh, they're little D6s that are that are skulls and they have all the different dots on all the sides and stuff. Because, uh, you know, warlocks. <laughs> Great, so to start off, so basically Dungeons and Dragons does use a normal six-sided die. Yeah. Or, or combination of them. Yeah, so there's different, there's different dice. So the main one you'll use is the D20 dice, which is a 20-sided dice. Uh, then you have D12s, D10s, D6s, and D4s. Uh, usually you can go to any old comic shop and yeah. purchase a dice set. Um, there is... Phil, they've got, um, they've got a one on, on Spears there. Yeah, Comic Connection, I comic think. Comic Connection. No, it's, it's, um, it's Enter the Battlefield now. Oh, they changed it? Yeah, oh, okay. I think so. Okay. And then I know there's one on Kerr Street too, that um, has has like um, oh, yes, and yes. Warhammer stuff. So I'm assuming they also would probably sell dice. And then there's also conspiracy comics. I want to say might sell. Uh, that, that, yes, that's, that's in that's in the mall. It's in the mall uh, now. Place, but yeah. you can probably also find them super cheap online too, and like on Etsy, like people make custom. Yeah. They make, like, molds, and they'll make, like, really cool custom dice. And that was a business in itself that boomed during the pandemic, too, because a lot of people, sometimes, they use resin, and they get the molds, and they make their own dice as well. Um, And you can get, like, this dice set, I think, was, like, not even 
10 bucks, like maybe mm-hmm. 12 bucks at my comic store. From but then, yeah, yeah, this was this was also from uh, from Etsy, and um, the D the D6s were also from Etsy. But uh, yeah, my my regular black dice were just comic store dice. And that's quite a business in and of itself. Like, I've seen some, like, crazy, like, there's gemstone dice, and there's, yeah. like, glass dice and everything, and those go... Glow-in-the-dark dice. Yeah. Anywhere from, like, 60 to $100 plus dollars now, which is, like, hey, I if mean, uh, you have disposable income. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you're sus, there's even weighted dice. Yeah. But we don't... We're not, obviously, condoning that. Nope. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, there's, like... But that's really cool because you can even so you could basically reach out to somebody and give them an example of what you're looking for if they don't have it. And most places can probably like figure out how to recreate what you're looking for in terms of dice because a lot of people like a certain color um, or like a certain aesthetic or based on the type of characters they play, they want to have like a matching dice set. Sort and of that's thing. one really of the appeals of yeah. the physical dice is just you know you want to have something that feels like your character and uh i've actually i've joked before uh, and this is i find you know people joke about cursed dice in the in the community right. as well yeah. which is basically if you roll with a dice set that is for a specific character for another character you'll just roll badly the whole session because it's right. not that character's dice <laughs> yeah it's it's very much like a um that energy gets gets Hello, mister. <laughs> the, ener- the energy gets uh, attached to a set, I guess, in a lot- for a lot of people. Yeah. And uh, that's kind of the kind of the whole... I, what, I, what I like about the game is that it provides uh, a lot of different development of skills of different types throughout yeah. the game. You've got math skills and problem solving, mm-hmm. memorization... Um, a lot social, of like a social interaction, stuff, a lot of theater and theater adjacent stuff goes on in the games, improv. like in terms of yeah. So, um, and uh, working well as a team, things like that, like developing those skills as well, mm-hmm. um, and uh, that's kind of a big part of, um, of of outside of anywhere that's like a school or outside of any kind of like parenting and stuff. And it, I've it's actually way to like do it with friends to like and have it be in, in a place where it's not there's no pressure because a lot of people in a school setting if they were to be given stuff to anything to do with math a lot of people freeze up and they get nervous and they don't know what to do in this kind of setting it's a lot more informal and it makes it more fun so a lot of people find that they are better with a lot of skills that they struggle with in other aspects of life whereas in Dungeons and Dragons they actually do really well and can develop and become better at things that they didn't think they were good at. Yeah, and I I actually find that a lot of uh, different skills are developed through uh, just even doing something <laughs> as simple as, you know, forming a plan of how you're going to infiltrate, you know, this castle and uh, how you describe your character's feelings. Communication like skills, right? Like, yeah. and, and communication and, and resolving debates and stuff like that. Yeah, and you can actually, I've seen resumes now that have put, like, on their resumes, you know, 
uh, meet every weekend, you know, for Dungeons and Dragons. And it's like a legitimate skill set now that you can put as like additional volunteer or um, different, you know, aspects of yourself on your resume now, which is, I think, really cool. I honestly think that's so funny, but it's also really interesting because I think that if I did see something like that on someone's resume, that would immediately tell me that they're, like, extremely intelligent and probably have, like, a lot of transferable skills. Insta-hire. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, plus, uh, they somehow are able to get a group of people together, um, in one place, like, the, again, like, board management, board leader. Yeah. You know what I mean? If you're a dungeon master, you're insta-hire. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, that's kind of the general idea, I guess, of how Dungeons & Dragons works. And so, like, if you're looking at a, a show like Stranger Things, like, I'm going to give that as the main example today, but um, there's been a lot of other Dungeons & Dragons references in pop culture. I'm going to, actually, I have a list. I'm going to pull it up right now for a second. Mm -hmm. But um, Stranger Things, obviously, is, like, the most recent um, that we are seeing. Um, and based on the time that the show's supposed to be set in, like, sort of early to mid-80s, mm -hmm. They didn't have the same kind of technology that we have now. Um, video games were just becoming a thing. Mm -hmm. uh, depending on where you lived, you might have, you know, different access to how much you could play those games. And they were generally a lot of arcade-based. Mm -hmm. It wasn't home. Uh, it wasn't really available for the... It was just becoming available for home use. Yeah. So a lot of what people's um, experience with, like, anything to do with video games... Pretty much all of the video games that we play now are based on these tabletop RPGs, role-playing games, like Dungeons and & Dragons. Mm -hmm. um, and actually, I guess before I forget to, um, the name itself, so the name Dungeons & Dragons basically refers to, as far as, uh, I'll, I'll let you kind of fill in the blanks here too, but um, when you go into like having to actually fight uh, like a, uh, I guess what you consider a boss or like boss battles, boss battles and stuff like that. BBG, BBG. <laughs> you go through a series of what's called dungeons. Yeah. So like a dungeon um, crawl. There's there's kind of room room for room sort of idea. You go as, in your group. You go, would would each pick a different class. So you're kind of a well-rounded group. So for example, one people one person would be like your your fighter. One person would be like a healer type. One person would be, like, a magic type. One person would be, like, a can figure out how to find traps and stuff sort of type. Yeah. Um, et cetera, et cetera, depending on how many people you're playing with. I'm not really sure. Like, a generally a group is four? Yeah, I generally like, find if you keep it about four to even five people at most, that's kind of... Although, <coughs> one of my favorite campaigns, we have seven people <laughs> in this campaign. It's a lot of uh, people around the table, but it's also a lot... Um, it's a lot slower paced, but it's a lot of fun to just work as a big group around the table. But I find uh, sometimes our DM is, is kind of playing babysitter <laughs> in the sense of like, it's like, okay, let's keep everybody on track towards the main goal. Okay, uh, yeah. But four or five people, perfect number. Yeah, I think okay. I think you want more than two, but less than five, essentially. Right. Around that, that and, ballpark. Um... And then the dragons part of it comes from the fact that a lot of the, the BBEGs, like the really, really big ones that you're going to encounter in the game, take the form of powerful dragons. Yeah. 
Um, I believe Tiamat is the big, like, yeah. big, big one. Yeah, the multi-headed. Multi, yes. Dragon. Um, so, uh, and when you're saying D&D Beyond, um, you know, there's, a, like, a, basically every single version of, of Dungeons & Dragons is going to, I guess, involve Tiamat in some way. That's if you're or... playing, like, some of the source material. There's different there's oh, okay. different campaigns and stuff you can do. Like, there's Curse of Strahd, and right now I'm playing Icewind Dale. Um, but there's, there's different canonic uh, campaigns that basically they put out source books for. So if you're, like, a DM that's just starting Dungeons & Dragons, you can go grab a source book, and then it's all made for you. You can just go through it page by page and play okay. it, okay. Uh, versus homebrew is kind of just writing your own story, which can be a lot for a first-time DM. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I would just say that if you're a beginner player, sometimes it's just easy to go pick a book off the shelf, and everything's made for you. You just have to get your players to roll their characters and show up, basically. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Uh, but there's, like, also a, a whole different range of, like final bosses yeah. that you can come up against. So, like, generally, you're, you're kind of fighting some lower-level baddies leading up to a yeah. final conclusion of a bigger uh, end goal. Yeah, and if you're a first-time DM, you can, um, based on, you know, what you want to start your players at level-wise, you can kind of look at the DM guide and at the monster manual and it explains how to balance encounters because if you okay. choose a too high level character you're just gonna wreck your entire party everybody's gonna die <laughs> it's yeah. called the TPK which is yeah. like I mean some DMs you know that's a some thing DMs that they like, like trying to kill the party yeah uh, yeah it, it depends but. on the level of challenge that you're yeah I think it's good to like get a sense of the type of challenge your players are ready for, but also the, the type of challenge they're willing to take on. Yeah, because, I mean, yeah. it's it's no fun to fight something easy, but it's no fun to fight something that, you know, you're not making any headway, just, like, wailing yeah. on constantly. So I find it's kind of that sweet spot of finding a challenge that's difficult for your players, but satisfying to play. And there's yeah, always yeah. the option of, if your party does... Um, you know, if you if you stat it the wrong way, you can always kind of change on the fly. Like, you don't have to follow the guidelines, you know? If you yeah. find there's too many hit points, you can just bring down the number of hit points to match your party. Or what you can also do is just, it's an option to have the bad guy turn around and leave, you know what I mean? Or, or to yeah. have an animal run away, or your party run away. Sometimes I encourage my players, I'm like... You don't have to kill everything. <laughs> you can run away if it's too hard. <laughs> but that also speaks to, like, people's inherent, like, how they fight or flight. Yeah, like, exactly, they, how right? they approach things just naturally as a person versus how their character would, right? And, yeah. And also talking in terms of the group agreeing on that, too, right? Yeah, exactly. And it's such an interesting, you know, Dungeons & Dragons can also be very much a psychology thing, too. Yes, For anyone that's interested in psychology, social studies, um, very, very interesting dynamics of, like, who picks what type of class, who picks what type of race, who picks what type of um, uh, approach in terms of um, strategizing and, like, in terms of the actions that people take in the game. Yeah. Uh, is always so interesting to me. And, like, 
Um, I was going to bring up some examples of it in popular culture here. So, um, basically, anybody who's ever appeared in a group of four in any case in pop culture whatsoever has basically been turned into a D&D group online. <laughs> if you go on, like, Reddit or, like, any other kind of websites, if you looked up, like, The Wizard of Oz, for example, it's in D&D group. Yeah. And everyone has been, like, turned into a character in the, in the tech constant of the game. Uh, Golden Girls, they did it for Golden Girls. Mm-hmm. Um, they've done it for pretty much, like, any, any iconic, like, basically, like, group of people that you can find, uh, has basically been D&D'd somehow online, (laughs) which is kind of cool. Uh, and, um, Community, one of my favorite shows, has done a few episodes, a few Dungeons & Dragons episodes. So basically, Community, if you haven't seen it, it's basically about, um, a community college, uh, study group, um who becomes a study group kind of because the the person who brings a study group together is a very unscrupulous fake lawyer yeah. who's trying to uh, get in somebody's pants and makes the study group to kind of get her to meet him in the library, but it turns out that other people get invited to the study group without him knowing, and then they become a friend group. And uh, there's a couple episodes where they um, have to help their friend... Um, defeat like his Dungeons and Dragons campaign so they all join him the, somebody outside the group but the, they all join him and like take on different uh characters and personas within the game that's one of my favorite recent examples of Dungeons and Dragons um but uh that's also like that that's kind of my example of um one of my examples of Dungeons and Dragons as like a social experiment sort of thing yep because you can see exactly how they are as characters already in the show and then who they pick as it's like like or who be, it, basically the first episode i believe they don't actually pick characters the one person makes character sheets for everybody and thinks they're all going to look over them very uh, thoroughly but they kind of just grab them out of the middle of the table and kind of just because they none of them actually give a shit so yeah. they all just they are like he's like oh i've made all of these very carefully thought out characters with all of you in mind so if you can just and then they all just kind of like just take one and they don't really care (laughs) um but it's very funny of like the people who end up being super into it and the motives behind that because some of the reasons why people get really into it are not good um it can really bring out and which i've seen both very creative and very like interesting sides of people but also the not-so-great sides of people, as yeah. you say, like, in terms of certain characters. Yeah. Uh, the chaotic and, like, um, not, like, very, like, evil and, um, like, calculating sort of side of people that is very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so, let me just look up a few more examples that I can find here. So there's actually a wiki. There's both a regular Wikipedia entry, and then there's also, like, a completely separate Forgotten Realms wiki, mm-hmm. and a couple other ones online for Dungeons & Dragons. So if anybody does want to go do a little bit more um, research into the game itself, um, basically uh, there's a whole controversy copyright thing with J.R.R. Tolkien that came up with Dungeons and Dragons that we won't really get into this episode. It's not really what we're focusing on, mm-hmm. but Lord of the Rings. So already, if you like Lord of the Rings, you'll probably see a lot of comparisons, similarities between that and Dungeons and Dragons sort of things. Um, you've got four 
well, in the beginning, four main characters, the four hobbits, who then bring on, like, three to four extra people into their party. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you've got your um, all different types of um, skill sets, all different types of backgrounds and everything, all coming together to fight a common foe. Um, You are going to different um, areas of Middle-earth, and you're fighting kind of, like, lower-level enemies, leading up to when you finally get to Sauron, and you're, like, uh, and Saruman, and all those other guys, and everything. So, that's kind of where, you know, a lot of fantasy stuff borrows from similar things. So, if if you're a person who likes Lord of the Rings, you're probably, it's kind of a stereotype of, like, nerds and whatever, but you're probably going to be into Dungeons and Dragons if you like Lord of the Rings. The two of them seem to go hand in hand. And it's a very accurate representation yeah. of a D&D party, because they don't stay on the main path. They diverge from it, yeah. and then they come back to it, yeah. which and I find with campaigns is also, because, yeah. you know, you never know as a dungeon master what your party's going to want to do. I had a whole entire session where I prepped a battle and like an encounter and all my party did the whole, you know, four hours that we were playing was they shopped around and they wanted to explore the town that that I made. And so I literally was like, okay, uh, I guess this is for next session. That's that's exactly what I like to do when I play open world games, when I get a chance, even in like um, any anywhere from those type of games to a couple games I'm playing now that are very like you go into a room it's yeah. room for room I have to check that every, every cranny thing that yeah. room and that's a big thing of Dungeons and Dragons too because you can just like go through the rooms if you want or you can say like I check over here I check over there like I do a, I roll for a check to see if there are traps or or see if there's some treasure or uh, hidden enemies or or whatever in the room and it's it's quite so, funny to watch people explore things within the game as well because like you said you get different personalities you have people that actually you know are lawful and they're gonna shop around Mm -hmm. and they're gonna spend their coin and then you have little grabby gremlins that (laughs) try to you know pickpocket stuff and and jedi mind tricks and such yes Yeah, so it's, it's... I love it, It's but it's cool because, depending, again, you have to base those decisions on whether those would make sense for your character, too. Yeah. But I do see that that is also inherent in, like, certain people's personality. That's the immediately where they go. Yeah, and exactly. that's what I had to learn in the beginning. It's, like, my instinctual thing of what I'd want to do, it's not, like may not be the greatest decision because it's not like just a normal video game where it's like, oh, if I make that decision, I could like do a little save. Yeah, you can and, do a do-over. Uh, try and do a do-over. <laughs> it's like, that's, the, that's what's interesting about D&D is that there's kind of less do-over options. Yeah, and I find depending, depending on how on, lenient your, your Yeah, your depending on is. how your, your DM but, is yeah. too, you know. Like, actions have consequences in the world. If right. you go at, on, you know, pickpocket spree and rob a whole entire town, they're going to get up and pitchforks and come after you, yeah. you know, and suddenly you're the bad guy, uh, depending on... be the bad guy. Yeah, but, but yeah, I, I always say the, the cool thing about D&D uh, is, you know, depending on your DM, sometimes actions of the party, you know, whether intentionally or unintentionally, play out a certain way, and uh, and they they aren't always, you know, what the party intended. We recently, uh, in a campaign I'm playing, uh, had a situation, <laughs> and 
the other players at the table are, are going to die when they watch this. <laughs> but uh, we came up against this wolf. We were told that these two wolves uh, were working for this evil guy that were, were kidnapping people from the village. And when we met this wolf, this wolf was like, oh, I, you know, I hurt myself and, and, you know, we don't want to work for the master and, you know, he's a very bad master. Like, and (laughs) we didn't even insight check him. We just were like, oh, a magical talking wolf. Like, yeah, sure. Sounds legit. We didn't even, like, we healed him and everything and we didn't even make an insight check. So this wolf took us back to his camp, and then tried to tag us, and and we had no idea. We were just a very trustworthy adventuring party that were just like, oh, talking wolf, it, it's it's amazing, let's, let's go follow this talking wolf. But that's exactly, you know, how D&D can play out sometimes. It's like, the DM tells you something very clearly as, like, a plot point, mm-hmm. but sometimes, you know, it's like in one ear and out the other with your party, and sometimes you trust the big bad wolf. <laughs> I, think, I think questioning everything is very important for Dungeons & Dragons. If, <laughs> if you have trust issues, you'll probably do very well <laughs> yeah, play yeah. the game. And she'll be like, no, no, something's not right here. Yeah, the the <laughs> wolf is is sketch, you know? He's not even living. too well. <laughs> no visual, you know, signs of uh, signs of hurt yeah. on this wolf. Maybe, you know, maybe I should insight check this wolf. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's kind of like a good point, right? Like, in, and it's just like regular um, life, right? Sometimes you don't get do-over. Sometimes you trust the wrong people. And you gotta have, you gotta be ready in case that happens. Yeah. So it's again good practice for that. Yeah, we were we were very yeah. lucky. We prepared something uh, that saved our butt in the end. But uh, yeah, it was almost like an entire party wipeout because we just yeah. weren't leveled for that encounter. <laughs> yeah, and like, um, and then they they do allude to that in in the show too um, in Stranger Things um, as. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk for a little bit so you can start. In, I don't want to eat your shit to get cold. Um, I'm gonna just talk for a little bit about sort of like the the pop culture references a little bit. More yeah, definitely. I'm um, I'm excited because they do they do mention that in in a, in a couple of the episodes of Stranger Things, right? Anybody the person who's the dungeon master there, um, they, you know, they're checking with their party at least, even mm-hmm. though they're like you know maybe not the greatest. Um, person in terms of that sort of, like, perceiving that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Like, um, like, I was watching this, uh, trying to catch on the Stranger Things with my roommate, who, who doesn't really watch it either, and she's like, wow, that Eddie guy's a fucking dick. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, a, he's actually, like, a kind of a bully to, this, to his, to his group, uh, which is, like, very fair assessment, because it's like, he kind of does get in their face a lot, and, mm-hmm. and, and like, he is very intense about the game and does kind of, like, kind of browbeat them into, you know, giving all of their time and energy to this group, um, which is basically an extension of himself at this point, because he's been in high school for way too long, and this is kind of, like, his life now. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, he, he does give them options, right? Like, when he, they do bring in their sub to try and, in this latest series, help defeat the campaign that they've been playing for X amount of time. Um, he does say, you know, like, there's no, there's no shame in, in running away. Um, but, you know, it, it, the way it's kind of implied that it's like, if you run away, I will, 
I will not let you hear the end of this, just so you know. Hmm. So it's very much like a... There is always that option, but people's pride, I think, takes over a lot. A lot of people forget, you know, it is just a game. Like, you can mm. you can really, like, take a step back if you wanted to and, and take the safer option and, you know, like, try again next time. And I think that's important, too, is, like, to take, especially when you're in a session that's very high emotions, like, either... You know, luckily, knock on wood, <laughs> I haven't had a character death yet in my oh, campaign. Okay, good. I haven't had one in any that I've been a player of, but I've had friends that have talked about, you know, um, how they've played campaigns where there's been character deaths or, you know, in certain campaigns of mine, there's been those high-pressure moments, you know, where everyone gets very passionate about what they're doing and stuff like that. So sometimes it's just a moment as a DM or even as, like, a player, sometimes just saying, you know, guys, why don't we take, you know, like, a snack break or, like, go get, you know, a couple yeah, drinks exactly. and, and and just, you know, take, take a moment to kind of, and, like, then come back into it. Because, you know, if you... Yes, and so your character is very important. If I find that if if your character's you know not doing so great, or you know your God, I mean, knock on wood, forbid your character dies. Uh, like that, uh, that is something that I find. You know, di different people have talked about how to approach it. You know, um, whether you take a lot of time to kind of talk about that character's last moments and. Um, talk about, you know, um, what the party does afterwards, and some people, they're just right bang into, here's another character sheet, just roll another character, and we'll talk about what happened and do a time skip and everything. So, mm. it really, I think, depends on the vibe of the party and, like, how much they're invested into yeah. the story and the character, because, um... I don't know. Have you ever watched like Critical Role or any yeah, like, of those shows? Uh, like No Rules Bard is another one, I think. Yeah. And like, um, there's like a few. There's like a bunch of different podcasts and and uh, YouTube things mm -hmm. that you can uh, jump on and watch. And like some of them are so funny. Yeah. And give you like so many good ideas on how to kind of like take your character and like I, I in terms of me, like I really like kind of infusing modern stuff and pop culture into. Um, references and mashing things up so I think that a lot of people do that in these these podcasts like they'll take mm -hmm. characters and like reference like very clearly other things like from pop culture so I think that's a really cool like approach yeah and like some of the offshoot uh, versions of Dungeons and Dragons that I've played like uh, it'll be like a zombie apocalypse setting like I've played a game that's taking place sort of in like a more modern like based on the idea of like a zombie horror movie apocalypse yeah. thing so you're in like a post-apocalyptic party and you've got skills that are a little bit more tailored to like what you would need sort of in that atmosphere that's cool and and you're playing like basically you're fighting like waves of zombies um things like that so i i've yeah. yet to play like a modern campaign so that's really interesting yeah those ones were kind of cool and then like we've played campaigns that were like very clearly based off like um characters from movies and tv shows yeah um so, like, going back to the, um, the the pop culture sort of thing, so um, there's a lot of celebrities uh, recently who have 
profess their love for um, Dungeons and Dragons. I believe Judy Dench is a fan of Dungeons and Dragons that I found out recently. Uh, Vin Diesel, very famously, is also uh, a very big um, player of that. Yeah. Um, we've also got Stephen Colbert, Matthew Lillard, which I was just thinking Scooby Doo would actually be like a perfect example of a group a to party, yeah. trans- <laughs> translate into a D and D thing. So like Scooby Doo could be like um, a druid in like dog form, mm-hmm. um, and then you could like pick out all the other different races and classes of like the group. Um, I don't know. I see Shaggy as kind of like a stoner, so I I just assume he would be like a an elf maybe. Possibly, like, some kind of wizard. Yeah. Um, Velma, again, probably a wizard or a warlock, I would say. Daphne would be, like, a rogue or, like, a, um, like... I'd say a fighter. Fighter? Yeah. Possibly. She's... I know in the cartoons she's traditionally... Like the damsel in distress type character, mm-hmm. but if you go with like the live action Scooby Doo series, mm-hmm. I'd say she'd be a fighter. Mm-hmm. Fred's kind of a weird one. I want to kind of put him as like, um, I feel like he, like I like he has like a Hulk side. Mm-hmm. Like if he gets super angry, he's like berserk out. <laughs> um. Even, like, because he's normally, like, pretty mild-mannered. Or you could go Artificer. Just get, like, some, some friggin', he's packing heat. Yeah, like, he, he, I feel like in, like, um, steampunk, sort of, like, steampunk vibe. Yeah, because I feel like in, what's it called, um, Mystery Incorporated, they talked about how he, like, traps and stuff, and, um, mm. and, and how he, I, I think he'd be really good at, like, building, you know, stuff that he puts together. <laughs> nice. Um... Considering we've got the new Velma, and yeah! and and we've got and we've got the new um, Trick or Treat Scooby Doo that's yes. come out as well. Yeah. Um. Lots of lots of options to speculate on the uh, formation of their party. Yeah. Um. So um, Moby apparently is also a big fan. Mike Myers, Patton Oswalt, Will Wheaton, Robin well the late Robin Williams, R.I.P. was a fan. Um, as I mentioned, um, you know, Lord of the Rings, um, is a big, um, connection with Dungeons and Dragons fans. We've also got, um, a lot of comics. We've got a lot of visual media. Um, there is a new Dungeons and Dragons movie that's coming out. Yep. Um, very soon, as far as I know. With, uh, Chris, um, Chris Pine, the, I think. Chris Pine, yeah. The Chris I like. Not Chris <laughs> 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 My brother was telling me about the fucking the new Mario movie the other day. Yeah, we just went to go see a concert on Wednesday. We went to go see the Mars Volta. Yeah, and on um, the train, he's telling me because I was talking about the Dungeons and Dragons podcast and the movie that's coming out. And he's like, mm-hmm. "Oh, did you hear the Mario movie? Mm-hmm. They just announced the casting for that." Yeah, and I was like, "Oh shit!" And then he said Chris Pratt, and I was like, "Oh right, he's involved." <laughs> and then apparently, he just got dragged for how horrible his voice is. I, have you watched that clip of, like, um, who's the actor that voices, um, the mom from Bob's Burgers? I thought it was a guy that voices the mom from Bob's Burgers. Yeah, the, the guy that voices the mom from Bob's Burgers. Um, I don't know. It's not, it's not 
I feel so bad. John Benjamin, not... whatever that guy's. It's a different person, right? Anyways, so they put her voice, like, talking beside <laughs> the new Mario <laughs> voice. Oh my god, I fucking prefer that, though. <laughs> and here it was, like, go. exactly the same thing. <laughs> I just oh died. my god, here we go. <laughs> it's a me, Linda. <laughs> oh, look at all the toadies. <laughs> look at all the cute little toadies. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh my god, I love it so much. Yeah, so I'm... That's hilarious. <laughs> I can't my I'm hear that now. Friggin' TikTok. Then why do I feel this way? Yeah. <laughs> my little baby. <laughs> um, yeah, so... You know what? Let's turn Bob's Burgers into a D&D party. There we go. Yeah. There's five of them. Yeah. That'll work. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, uh, yeah. speaking of celebrities that do D&D, if you have not looked it up yet, oh my gosh, go watch Jack Black play D&D because it's <laughs> unbelievable. He's, he's, he's Bowser. Yeah. Okay. His Bowser voice is so good. His Bowser is fantastic because <laughs> Jack Black can do no wrong. He's amazing at everything. I love um, him. And that, obviously, I would assume he plays D&D just because he, of the type of music he's played and whatever and just his vibe. Yes, yeah. it, it screams Dungeons and Dragons to me. Yeah, and just um, like yeah. like fun relatives that you'd like to you you'd like to to play cards or board games or something with, like yeah. Oh, here the community episode, Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, and then there's <laughs> an episode called Advanced Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Um, there is also oh, there was a Saturday morning cartoon series called Dungeons and Dragons. Um, where people would get transported into the fantasy world, Mr. Rogers style, and <laughs> do some Dungeons and Dragons, where it would, like, turn animated, and people really liked doing that, um, in the 80s, mm-hmm. um, just to, like, flex with the, with the special effects, I guess, yeah. they really liked doing that. The animation. Um, there was a movie called Pete's Dragon, I think, too, that, like, came out, that yeah. was, like, and, and, uh, the Black Cauldron. Yeah, oh my gosh, and, Black Cauldron. Uh, um, there's a whole bunch of, like, stuff that was, like, very, like, kind of party, D&D kind of inspired. Yeah. Um, that 70s show made references to Dungeons and Dragons, um, The Simpsons, um, Gravity Falls, um, The Big Bang Theory, obviously, um, and, uh, they mention here in the, on the internet, Critical Role and Dimension 20 are very, um, popular actual play web series mm-hmm. that you can follow. So, um, those are some examples. Um, there's also a lot of, uh, music references. Uh, Weezer mentions, you know, obviously in the garage is very, um, <laughs> iconic lyric. Got the dungeon master's guide and the 12 sided die. Yeah. Um, waiting there for me. Mm-hmm. And, um, my chemical romance also makes a reference to D and D in the intro on the music video for the song I'm Not Okay. Uh, there's also, a, a, in terms of podcasts, there's a few here. Um, the Adventure Zone and Dungeons and Daddies. Yeah, oh my gosh. Which is actually, like, more, sort of supposed to be, like, a radio play style, but it's them playing Dungeons and Dragons, which are about dads trying to rescue their like labyrinth style to rescue like their sons from the forgotten realms. Yeah. Which is fucking great. And greatest premise. It's hilarious yeah. because I think in the second season they do the flip side where it's the sons like oh, perspective Amazing. of them landing <laughs> in uh, in the oh, world. Man. I think. Uh, 
<laughs> but yeah, there's there's a lot of content out there. Um, I won't I won't plug it right now, but I'm actually working on another in production uh, podcast, which is going to be airing very soon, which has yeah. been a lot of fun uh, to do. We will have to, we're gonna we're gonna leave time if you want to shamelessly <laughs> plug it now, please do. Uh, yeah. uh, but whenever you're ready, like please tell us because yes, that's our other reason why Sarah is here because. Um, the podcast craze obviously yep. is taking hold. Yep. And um, you have a podcast that you, as you mentioned, you were working on. So um, yeah, if you want, please. Yeah. So uh, it'll it'll be airing soon. Um, I won't I won't talk about much uh, right now, but it is called the Adventure Zone, and um, or shit, sorry, hang on. Uh, That's what we were talking I, about. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, okay. no, 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 not the Adventure Zone. Uh, the Adventure Table. I was... Adventure Table. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's... Uh... No, honestly, what it, I actually was surprised at the amount of podcasts that I found with the word tavern. With the adventure and, and fantasy tavern and, and fantasy stuff. And, stuff. Because, and they yeah. were all, and they were, like, all D&D related, which was actually funny because that was sort of what I had originally kind of planned to have this be. But mm -hmm. I, I decided that because I'm, like, a huge pop culture junkie of other things... To just make it open to more stuff. But, yeah, so, like, Adventure Table. Yeah. Referencing, you know, the table in which, you know, you're known to kind of gather around to yeah. do your roles and, you know, play the game in a more physical way. Yeah. So, I need yeah. a drink for that because it's been a long time. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> adventure, adventure Zone? Adventure, adventure zone. Table. Please name, don't sue me. The name, the name has now been taken. It's no longer yours. Adventure um, Table. Please don't yeah. sue me. <laughs> But yeah, so um, you're welcome, Adventure Zone, for the free, <laughs> free plug. <laughs> the free plug. But also, yes, the Adventure Table. It will be, it will be fun. Uh, we will play in in real time around a table and go on grand adventures. And uh, I will be a player in that one. Uh, but uh, yeah, our our group of people is awesome, and I'm really looking forward to getting all of our content out there. Yeah, same. Um, yeah, so um, whenever it's out, we're going to announce um, when it's available, what streaming platforms it'll be on. And um, yeah, if you ever need people to be on it or let me know if you're yeah, players and yeah. stuff. Yeah, I'll definitely put it towards awesome. our, uh, our team. But yeah. Um, but yeah, if anybody who's interested too in checking out this episode um, and providing feedback, including yourself, like that would be amazing. Um, so as I said, like my, my experience with it is, is fairly limited, but, um, I, I know enough to kind of, I guess, understand like the, the basic ins and outs, but I can always use like more refreshers and like, I never actually play with real people anymore. So yeah, no, uh, I'd love to have you on my to table. To, to hear about like actual gameplay and like, ha like to see it, how it plays out and, and, um, you know, successes in, in that respect. Mm -hmm. So yeah, uh, in terms of um, our next part of the show, I'm just going to do a quick little time check to see where we're at. Yeah. And um, it's pretty good, actually. We're, we're, I think we can wrap this up within the next uh, 45 minutes to an hour. Yeah. yeah. Doing really well. I think we've given a really good sort of... Um, uh, backstory, if you will, on, on what Dungeons and Dragons is, mm -hmm. kind of, to get, to, to then now lead into the next part of 
the, I guess, um, where, where it kind of goes from for some people being a game, just harmless fun, yeah. to being kind of the instrument of something a little bit more sinister. Mm-hmm. So... And this is all, as I said before, stuff that um, even I didn't really know much about until crack open another cold one because it's gonna get it's gonna get a little weird now. Um, I just it's it's um it's interesting to like think about where um, religion needs to succeed so badly in certain ways that it needs to like kind of go on the on the warpath for certain things, you know what I mean? And for some people, creativity can become, like, reality in some sense, too, I think. Like, if you don't have, like, a hard line of belief, it can become... My alarm, sorry. It can become, like, very all-encompassing if you yeah. don't have that, that hard um, grounding in reality. Yeah. Um... I think it's like, because I've been watching a couple other um, really interesting uh, pop culture things um, regarding cults and stuff, and what is the difference between religion and the cult, mm. and um, and also like the similarities are that um, the it, after a certain point, if you get too invested. Even though you're being told it like and very clearly shown it, that it's it's not real, like there's a lot of illogical things going on, it just makes people want to cling to it that much harder and find examples to like mm-hmm. prove themselves right that much more. Yeah, and I so. think like I know personally I'm not in any way religious. I I used to be. Um, but I feel just like anything else, whether it's your identity, whether it's sexuality, whether it's religion, we all as people go through different evolutionary changes and different mm-hmm. um, ideals, you know, based on things that happen in our lives. And for some people, that's like a very real thing, even though it it may not be physically manifested in the world it's like it's very for them it's real and versus for other people it's not and I think um I think it's hard uh for some people to be respectful of that line of like yeah some people are some people aren't yeah yeah and I think that the um the the the, your interpretation of religion in a lot of ways and, and like um, more fundamental religions take the written word of it a lot more literally mm-hmm. and and so when you start to take what's written sometimes when you start to take what's actually physically written and you claim you're taking that exactly as it's written but, but you're interpreting it completely different than how it's mm-hmm. actually written that's also a very interesting thing because it's like you're saying that you're taking this word of God as is, but you're, you, the way you're processing it and deciding uh, the, what, what that means is may not exactly be what it means. And you're now using it for your own personal motives. Yeah. Um, and it's, sort it's of thing too, which also, is why 
looking at like any t type of other literature is written through like if we look at this academically like all literature is written through some unspoken bias so when you're right um when you're reading things and um internalizing them to be true sometimes it's it's easy to forget that there was somebody that wrote that, right? Mm -hmm. And we're viewing it through their gaze. So I think it's yeah. it's kind of worth thinking about too. When um, when I was growing up and like reading through these lessons, I I I'm just hearing that from that one perspective. You know what I mean? So I think for me it was just a journey of kind of stepping back and, and realizing that there's different perspectives in the world. Yeah, because um, I think that's that's where a lot of a lot of um, where a lot of people kind of go away from organized religion a lot is because they get the chance to see what life is like and get other other perspectives on not just other religions but just what what life is like outside of where a lot of people get religion which is their little family bubble or mm -hmm. from like a very small community type of type of situation and um this is where we're going to get a lot of the examples of the satanic panic mm -hmm. going into what we're about to talk about with um D &D. D &D and yeah. stuff um before we do that though um do you need to take a break at all do you need to like bought washroom at all do you need to do you, you're good. If there's any wine left, could get some Okay. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break, everybody, to get a quick refresh. Yeah. We'll be right back to conclude with the second half of the podcast. Okay, BRB. BRB. Wine time. Oh, yeah, no, don't worry about that. I'm like, no, my contact, my director's going to kill me. Adventure time. <laughs> Adventure table. Mmm, <laughs> <laughs> oh. pizza. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's one of those things where it's like, you've got to have a, a good snack for D&D. Pizza's usually the go-to. It's also good, uh, just as, as a DM, uh, giving advice to future players, to bring certain candy offerings to mm. your DM so With they don't the... kill your character. <laughs> yeah, I knew about that one. <laughs> it's always good to uh, double check in advance if they're looking for any particular snacks or or learning what their favorite snacks are and bringing it unprompted. Yeah, just like in order to curry some favor. <laughs> um, similar to a offering to a certain. Dang. <laughs> dun dun dun. <laughs> Transition. So, basically, there's a few reasons why um, D and D has been hit in the past with the label satanic. We've seen this happen with a lot of different types of entertainment. Usually, entertainment that references anything to do with the occult, so like witchcraft. Um, any sort of like things like for example tarot cards divination things like that are 
Uh, and this is, uh, they, uh, so the, again, going back to what the idea of Satan is, Satan is very much um, specific to the Christian religion. So we're talking about the Satanic Panic was invented by Christians, Amer North American Christians generally, to, and it's a term that was kind of like coined sort of after the fact by pop culture analysts um, to kind of describe a time between sort of the late 70s and the early to mid 90s where fundamentalist Christians were kind of basically on the lookout for anything in pop culture, entertainment, media, that in their minds was uh, an instrument of the devil. Yeah. Or was anti-Christian and therefore should be avoided at all costs. Um, this panic actually led to um, a lot of people in the Christian communities of like where they lived engaging in the exact behavior that they were accusing uh, certain individuals or companies of um, themselves. So it ended up being extremely ironic in that sense um, that people who are Christian and supposed to be like very understanding and sort of like loving people no matter if they think that they're evil or not and then turning into very like violent, hostile people who, as we mentioned before, will do say and do anything to get their side of the narrative pushed forward to look correct, and uh, so that they so that their whole like religious idea doesn't get exposed as a sham uh, or, or hypocritical or something like that. So, Dungeons and Dragons as a satanic element. There's a lot of um, reference to this in the again Stranger Things. Um, they, they read, a, um, a, an article from Newsweek in the first episode of the show, of the fourth season that we're watching. Uh, Eddie reads it at the, at the school lunch table where all the, the Hellfire Club nerds have a, have a table at. Oh, that's cool. And he's talking about how this, this article in Newsweek just came out, I believe it's 1986 that the episode, uh, the season's supposed to be set in. Yeah. And they're talking about how, it's, it's talking about how Dungeons and Dragons is evil, or it's like people are saying that it's evil, and then it's driving um, the youth to um, be immoral. When you th and, and then it's and it's so funny too because when you think about the type of people who were playing Dungeons and Dragons, like these were not like the criminal element of society. These were not like the evil degenerates of like our communities. The, the, these were people that you know stereotypically didn't have a lot of friends didn't go to parties, didn't go out doing drugs and drinking, yeah. and um, causing a lot of trouble. They were at home, sitting on their ass, playing a game, you know, and, and not really causing a lot of trouble to anybody. So it's really funny how this then turned into these groups were, like, bringing together um, these, like, evil, malicious forces of the devil. So that's kind of funny altogether, just like the type of like person that you think of that um, is interested in that sort of thing. But um, there were also other elements, like for example, uh, certain people in Stranger Things, um, other aspects of their character, like the fact that they don't wear a lot of bright colors, they wear all black all the time, they don't dress in a stereotypically masculine or feminine presenting way, mm. they listen to heavy metal music. Um, a lot of times they come from lower class, socioeconomic class background mm -hmm. or racial class background as well. 
Um, and so a lot of these, like you're saying with, with uh, you mentioned your comment with literature, like th things being written with a, a subconscious bias, yeah. like a subconscious prejudice. Yeah. That sort of like subconscious prejudice of like um, American Christianity um, kind of took over and basically is now accusing people who are just playing like a simple game into uh, the game itself being created by some like evil guys like these mm. two these two people or three people who conceived the game back in the day had the explicit idea in their head when they made it that it was going to be used to brainwash people into a satanic cult mm -hmm. and that people are like knowingly agreeing to it and going along with it as players. And one of the interesting things I find about Dungeons and Dragons, like it was actually used as a tool in my dad's accounting courses in order to teach people how to do quick math, like oh, back in the day. So really, it's it's like it's just how do we get from you know using it as a tool to do quick math to oh it's the devil, you know what I mean? Like, I just, I, it's really interesting to think about the sudden abrupt change in society from, you know, using it in schools to basically banning it entirely. Yeah, and, and I think that it's, it's, um, basically, like, the fact that fundamentalist religion has kind of been used to run like America where a lot of the satanic panic came up mm. for a really long time um that's why it was kind of painted that way um so this sort of like panic has is not new in North America like a lot of these articles I'm reading they're they're bringing it all the way back to the Salem witch trials yeah people just need people who are like fundamentalist and puritanical need to have that evil element to like point a finger at yeah. in order to again strengthen their their convictions yeah. justify their beliefs so it even goes back to way back then but um the satanic panic we're kind of talking about now really was like the late 70s early to mid 80s there was even a big example that i'm going to bring up from the early to mid 90s that actually influenced stranger things a lot even though it happened technically after the time that it came out cool um which when I started watching the um, the documentary, I could tell right away that it was like that that they had taken elements from this from this case. Mm -hmm. So um, also, it, uh, so around like the late sixties, early seventies, obviously the Church of um, like the the Satanic Church is now a thing. Mm -hmm. um, the Manson family has committed their crimes, um, and um, are, are you know getting tried for all of that. That is still very fresh in people's minds. Um, and the Son of Sam was also, and the Zodiac Killer were also, um, serial killers were becoming a thing that was uh, like a term. Hey, buddy. Oh, you came back. No mm. garlic cheese for you, bud. No, Come here. I love the garlic. I know. Come here and see me. I will give you some treat. Come here, buddy. Oh, go see. Go see. Come and see me. Phobos wants a treat. He's like, no, so, um, I want Basically, <laughs> yeah, many pets. I just changed my mind. <laughs> oh, buddy. So, um, yeah, so it's essentially, people are, people are already on edge about these things. Just normal yeah. people. But yeah. the Christians 
they're again looking for anything that they can grab onto to like bolster their cause. Yeah. They're now looking at the these killings and serial killers and they're linking everything back to satanic stuff. Yeah. So um, I watched a very interesting um, documentary about the Son of Sam recently. So the Son of Sam murders happened in New York in the 70s. Um, it was a it was a originally said to be a single individual acting alone and targeting randomly teenagers and young women. Um, it seemed to be very pretty indiscriminate, and it happened for like about a year and a half, I would say. Mm-hmm. And they finally caught somebody. However, based on um, analysis of uh, notes that this person wrote to the police and um, people that they knew and stuff like that, um, they actually tied it to another family, um, the Carr family, the head of which was named Sam, and Sam had a son. And so uh, they lived like a block or two from the guy who they actually arrested for these crimes, David Berkowitz, mm-hmm. and in the notes that, they, that David Berkowitz wrote to the police and stuff and that they found, there's these references to, like, things that they didn't, that, that seemed like gibberish and just, like, schizophrenic, like, crazy shit at the time, but was actually referencing, like, different street names, different people, um, different things that happened, and uh, apparently right before all of this stuff was about to go to trial, the that Sam Carr guy and both of his sons ended up unaliving and ending up dead, which seems a little bit suspicious. Yeah. And so they then turned into this thing where it's like, they tried to kind of paint it as like the son of Sam was being directed by Satan to do a bunch of stuff. Mm. Um, Because in the notes, son of Sam was like, um, like it's like an evil entity. Mm. Uh, trying to, like, tell him stuff. Yeah. But it turned out to be kind of, like, related to another real person who may have been either influencing David Berkowitz or um, was working with him. Yeah. But then it kind of turned into this whole other narrative of is this satanic in nature mm-hmm. because of the nature of the notes and stuff like that. Was Were they all part of some kind of bigger network of a satanic cult? Mm-hmm. So the documentary starts going into stuff like that, and, like, I love a conspiracy theory, so I'm, like, totally on board with it. Buddy, no. Here, come take mine, bud. Come here. Come here, you. Come. You don't even like blue cheese. You're silly. But anyway, um, so that was, like, a really cool example of, like, a serial killer one, where it's, like, they took this sort of, or people are already on edge about the serial killer thing, but now people are also now linking Satan into this whole thing, where mm-hmm. that may not even actually be the case. Yeah. Just just, to, just in the interest of finding an answer for the senselessness, yeah. when really the only answer might just be that it's just senseless and there's really no other explanation for it. Yeah. People are shitty and people do shitty stuff. Yeah. And... But, the, but what calls it into doubt is all of the, all of the evidence we have with the notes and the interviews and what happened when when Berkowitz actually went to trial and stuff and like all of the all of the deaths and the and the really mysterious stuff that happened after the fact. So that's why so that's a that's a one example of like Satanism and the Zodiac Killer was another one that referenced that sort of um that that is still unidentified. That person is still identified. 
I'm pretty sure people tried to say it was like Ted Cruz at one point, but that was like some like crazy like Wild town banana pants theory that I don't think anybody really entertained. Hmm. Um, so also um, interesting to note that serial killers in the 1960s and 70s there was not an influx of them. It's just that there was simply a rise in coverage. So that's also what's interesting about the satanic panic is that you've got people believing in the fact that Satan exists, that there's elements of him that people are deliberately putting out into entertainment and the media, and that there's also more media coverage looking for sensational stories. So the satanic panic hit at like the perfect moment of people wanting to get like sensational stories on the air Really not really background yeah. to the the bias of looking it, through people's yeah, lenses. Exactly. Yeah. So as much as people may not have agreed with, with the concept of it being Satan, they would obviously are gonna run this story because it's a great fucking story. Yeah. So that is kind of a very interesting point of people are gonna wanna run a story like Newsweek is obviously that's gonna sell copies if they've run a story about how Dungeons and Dragons is as like Satan. Yeah. Obviously, everyone, no matter what your religious affiliation, is going to be interested in that sort of thing. Yeah. Um. So. It's a uh, a very interesting thing because then it became, uh, Dungeons and Dragons then became sort of like the subject of a lot of like religious pamphlets, cartoons, and stuff like that within the Christian community. Um, pastors started bringing it up at their sermons yeah. and making sure to tell parents not to let their children play it because it was the devil. Um, there's also uh, The Exorcist that came out in the early 70s. Oh, that um, movie terrified me. Yeah, so that, like, there was a lot of stuff around that time that was, like, flirting. I believe Rosemary's Baby was, like, another one. Mm-hmm. Um, that was, like, flirting with the idea that there was, like, satanic elements in our society. Like, that there were, like, these secret societies in pockets in all of our communities, and at any moment they could, like, draw you in to their evil, like, kind of, like, draw you into the fold, and then you'd be, mm-hmm. like, worshipping the devil, sacrificing animals, children, drinking blood, um, pledging your allegiance to the Dark Lord and such. Yeah. Um, and there then also came up the whole concept of satanic ritual abuse, which is also very heavily contested as to whether or not that's actually real and to what extent it is real. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, again, a whole thing I'm not going to go into in this episode, but it was also a, a concern. Um, and it says very much here, like, sometimes these allegations, people, again, well, they're going to believe what they want and need to believe. So when it comes to Dungeons & Dragons... Um, there was really never any, like, there were a few things where, um, children would go missing, uh, they would commit suicide, they would, they would come to some kind of, like, not great end, possibly murdered, whatever, um, and they would find out that this person played Dungeons and Dragons, like, in their, in their past history, and then... Mm -hmm they would make this crazy connection that they were um, turned to the dark side and that led to their death because they were involved in Dungeons & Dragons. Mm. 
So there is a very um, famous story. We're going to get into some of like the true crime stuff now about the Satanic Panic to do with Dungeons and Dragons. Um, now, in 1979, there was a 16-year-old who was who went missing from their dorm at Michigan State University. There was a private investigator that got hired by their parents, and I don't know exactly. It doesn't really explain where that narrative turned into the D and D being involved at what point, but um, the private investigator, it seems in this um, article that I'm reading is saying that this was not, not only was this foul play, but based on Dungeons and Dragons. Um, apparently there were like tunnels under the school where people would play live, like LARP Dungeons and Dragons, mm -hmm. and there were like some active clubs on campus. So because of that, they um, decided that uh, these utility tunnels under the school were where people would meet for satanic activities. And stuff like that. There was a whole bunch of books written about this disappearance. Uh, there's a book called The Dungeon Master, The Disappearance of James Dallas Egbert III. Um, there was a movie with Tom Hanks called Mazes and Monsters, based on a book called Rona, uh, written by Rona Jaffe, based on what happened to Egbert. So this, this became like a very big deal back when it happened. Um, he it actually ended up coming out that he you know he was suffering from mental health issues he was dealing with some drug addiction problems um he ended up result he ended up taking refuge in these tunnels under the school because of this and eventually ended up taking his own life because of issues completely unrelated to the game whatsoever um if anything D, &D was like an outlet for them a positive outlet for them, one of the only positive outlets. And it's not actually even clear as to the extent of how much they even played the game. Um, but a lot of people wanted to take this angle that that was why it happened. And um, then there was another very prominent case with um, Irving Lee Pulling. So this was a high school student uh, who also took their own life. Their mother, Patricia Pulling, suddenly became convinced that the son's death was caused by Dungeons and Dragons. In pursuit of this closure, the mom tried to sue the son's principal, who had placed a curse upon his player character that she believed to be real. This actually was a real thing that happened. She put what? together a campaign called Bad. I don't know if you guys know what Mad is. <laughs> Mothers Against Driving. She put together a campaign called BAD, which stood for Bothered About Dungeons and Dragons, after her claims were dismissed by the court. Um, she claimed that Dungeons and Dragons uses demonology, witchcraft, murder, satanic-type rituals, and demon summoning. Um, it was put together as a media campaign against D&D &D through conservative Christian outlets, and um, leading to, actually, I was just going to, uh, I was looking at this as well. There's a very famous 60 Minutes um, episode that they did about Dungeons and Dragons, specifically because this was a problem. Wow. Specifically because of the Satanic Panic. And Gary Gygax was on this episode, and I believe that was where, as I was mentioning before, he made that like very iconic, savage quote about how like it's not my fault 
if your kids basically like something happens to your kids, that's a result of you being terrible parents. That's nothing to do with us. <laughs> Is what I want to say, basically. Some, he said something to the effect of that. Yeah. Um, which I think is actually fucking hilarious. Yeah, and true. <laughs> and true. <laughs> uh, and so he's, so Gary's, Gary's standing behind the product. Um, there was a lot of people, actually, who got called out claiming that they were, like, expert witnesses on, like, viewing games with satanic activity that came out to be complete garbage and lies. Um... There was uh, people who, like, went so far as to hire psychologists to actually defend Dungeons & Dragons to the public, however, so there was a lot of damage control that was going on, as well as, um, you know, saying that's completely unacceptable, but there, there, were some there was some damage control that was being done as well. Um, a lot of the concerns, um, because uh, another reason why a lot of people just thought it was satanic is because of certain elements in the game that just go against the general buddy that go against the general rules of christianity so in the game you like are pledging your allegiance to different gods and deities and stuff at certain points which a lot of obviously a big thing of christianity especially the more fundamental you are hey mister hello are you learning about dungeons and dragons or you just want some pizza no pizza for you. No. I see something also on your tail. It looks like a floof. Just like you. Um, Phobos is visiting now, guys. Um, but yeah, so, it, because in Christianity, you're not supposed to worship any other gods besides the main god, and like, Jesus and stuff, right? So, you've got, you know, you're worshipping, like, inclusion of different kinds of gods in the game, um... You know, the option of, like, your character getting killed, but the option of you being able to, like, bring another character in, yeah. you know, uh, that sort of thing. Um, different, like, obviously, like, you're fighting different undead creatures and things like that at various times, different, like, non-human creatures. Yeah. So, um, not only is that sort of, like, seen as blasphemy in, in the Christian religion, but it's also in terms of impressionable youth not being able to discern fantasy from reality. So, because um, a lot of people are like, the devil's a trickster, the devil's a liar, the devil does these things to deceive our, to deceive us, especially our youth, into like following them. Uh, obviously, the inability to distinguish fantasy from reality could be a big concern for parents. Yeah. Um, and then especially if it's resulting in deaths of but, see, that's a whole, again, a whole other thing where it's like we're ignoring the very real issue of mental health services and acknowledging that mental health is something that we need to deal with with youth, whereas in the Christian, a lot of religious backgrounds, mental health is not acknowledged. You just, you pray to God and you don't have mental health problems. And we never acknowledge that your religion could be the source of your mental health problems, of course. So it's very possible that, you know, perhaps these kids were having issues because they didn't like their religion. Their religion was extremely oppressive. Maybe they were being abused within the church. Maybe they were queer. Maybe they, like, the, a lot of people might be realizing that a lot of the things they were told growing up didn't work with how they actually saw what society is. I read an interesting CNN article about how a lot of um, youth that 
grew up in very Christian or Catholic um, societies had a lot of rapture anxiety that they had to deal with. Right? Um, yeah. Growing up. It's really interesting. But, um, yeah, I think what it comes down to is sometimes you just have to take a step back and open up your eyes and mm -hmm. decide what you need to do for you. Mm -hmm. And I was um, watching a lot of Y2K stuff. Yeah. And they mentioned that a lot. A lot of um, doomsday cults, rapture cults well, formed right before the, the year 2000. Yeah. Um, so that's really good you bring that up. Um, and, uh, I feel like then we had, like, a plateau period of, like, religion not being a huge thing, and now it's kind of coming back. Coming back, yeah. And, like, we're seeing some very, like, Handmaid's Tale-esque scenarios playing out. So, yeah. I think I saw a really good, I think it was, like, a thread on Tumblr or something like that, talking about how this is a direct response to the fact that we've already changed as a society and it's basically an answer to a lot more progressive and um, liberal things that yeah. we've done oh, yeah. and it's like coming down as like a reaction now on uh, on certain certain groups about uh, yeah and, and again, with certain world leaders, I feel like now those people are 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 emboldened again to to say and do a lot of the things they're they're saying and doing. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. Um. And so, we've got two pe two kids that have passed away from from taking their own life, and so instead of um, seeing that as you know maybe that's something where they were having a mental health crisis, and and, and investigating that, but that wasn't really even the conversation people were having yet back then. Um, this was still a, a, a place, like a society where people were getting like electroshock therapy and put in, put in mental hospitals and stuff like that. Or again, just told to like go to church, excuse me. And that's how you deal with your issues. Now, um, again, it, it's, it's sort of, there's a correlation between the growing popularity of the game and then we've got these Christian haters coming in trying to take it down. Yeah. So, obviously, um, so there's a few other things here. So, in 1984, there was somebody who was murdered by two people who happened to play Dungeons and Dragons. Um, they complained that the um, RPG should have been should have been included in. This is interesting because the person who actually committed the crimes tried to use this as a defense. Because they didn't think that they were going to win the case. So that did not help. This was actually, like, very damaging to the argument that D&D &D was safe. Because this person also tried to claim in this trial that Dungeons & Dragons would accustom people to violence and lure them away from God. So... Um, not really cool. sure, again, exactly what, what, um, state or whatever they were having this trial in, but that's a very interesting that in this case they were trying, the defendant was trying to actually lean into the game being damaging in order to win their case. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Then we had 1988. Um, this was somebody who was conspiring to murder a stepfather and mother over inheritance money. And this person and their fellow D&D party members were convicted of aiding and abetting this murder. Um, then we've got um, a very interesting case, which um, I'll go into now, which is kind of what a, a lot of people see a lot of parallels between this and Stranger Things. So um, this was a really interesting documentary I started watching called Paradise Lost. It's a three-part documentary, and um, it's completely recorded by HBO from like start to finish. And it follows the trial of three boys, three teenage boys, who were charged with murdering three very young children in ritualistic style killing. And uh, part of their, um, the reason why they were accused by this town that they lived in, excuse me, which was like very conservative, religious based town, is because they came from poorer families. They didn't dress like the other kids. They didn't hang out with a lot of the other kids. And they listened to Metallica and they played Dungeons and Dragons. So all three of these kids ended up being cleared of all charges. But before that happened, they actually got all got convicted as guilty. Um, one of them also got almost got sentenced to a death penalty. Wow. So, um, I'll talk really briefly about that because it's a very both be, considering the the subject matter of the trial, but also um, the fact that it was completely recorded and aired by HBO back when like HBO was just becoming a thing. So they were like in the courtroom. The whole time, the entire trial, they're doing interviews with every single person in the town. Like, everything. Like, the whole thing is so very bizarre. So, um, the movie also is soundtracked by Metallica music. Which makes it all the more bizarre. Um, wow. this... It, they live in Arkansas. So again, just to give you an example, Arkansas is, is generally regarded as a pretty, you know... Um, very Christian fundamentalist like state. Um, they generally follow um, as as uh, many laws that kind of coincide with Christianity as possible. So we're talking about like Roe v. Wade and stuff like that. Arkansas was like one of the first states to be like, we don't want Roe v. Wade anymore, stuff like that. So um, what's interesting as well is that. Um, they had two separate trials. So what's really fucked up about this is that one of the boys was clearly developmentally delayed and they actually used that and turned it against him and got him to give a false confession. Wow. Yeah. So it was pretty, pretty messed up. Um, it resulted in two other movies. So there was Paradise Lost 2 Revelations and Paradise Lost 3 Purgatory that came out like many years later. Um, so it actually also turned out that there was very strong evidence that the father of one of the dead children actually did all of the stuff. Because 
Um, it, if you watch the first movie, the dad of one of the kids, who who also um, it's noted that he is apparently suffering from some sort of brain tumor. Apparently, um, the dad gives HBO a knife which had blood on it. What? That HBO was like, hmm, this seems a little sus. What? And they gave it to the police. What? And they found that there was blood on it from his sons. Are you serious? And this dad claimed that there was not supposed to be any blood on the knife at all. They actually put the dad on the stand and, like, he... I don't know. And what's so messed up is that the wife of, like, the, the, the mom was, like, film saying that I hope that those boys basically get, like, sodomized, get raped in jail. On camera. What? Yeah. So, and so you, Holy have, shit. And so you have to imagine, like, you're, you also are, are watching footage of both parents proselytizing and, like, basically getting on a soapbox and, and talking about how much they love God and, like, quoting Bible verses and talking about how uh, Satan is a liar, the devil is a liar, and how, like, God's gonna have to bring retribution for the people who killed his babies. And the whole time, then, like, that was so, that was so fucked up to me, too, when you realize that the dad probably fucking did it. He probably did all three. And now he's trying to turn it on these kids, these innocent kids, who he knows people are going to go after because he's, they're all going to think they're Satanists, when it was probably him the whole time. And he just hands them the evidence. It's like, the whole thing is just so messed up. I'm and, like... And what's interesting, I know, like, shook, it, right? I'm like, shook as fuck. I was too. I was too. I'm just like, All right? is he is he arrogant or is he a dumbass? I honestly, when I was watching it, I'm like, you, you just had to let the dumbasses dumbass it. Like, oh my god. Because that's what, like, Those everyone is telling fucking dumbass. They're fucking stupid. And and the one kid, uh, the, there's a, there's the kid Damien, the one kid that oh my god. actually, you can see him finally getting fed up with all of it. And he acts cocky, and what's, what's, what's crazy is that, like, I, he acts cocky towards the end because I think he believes he's not going to get get convicted, but he actually ends up getting convicted, even wow. after all of that, even after there being no physical evidence against the boys, oh my even after they acknowledge that they took advantage of a mentally disabled kid to get a false confession, That's awful. and he, uh, half the time he didn't even understand what was going on. And that they had physical evidence of one of the dead children's fathers doing it. They still convicted all three of the kids, and then they had to appeal the case, and end up, uh, and it ended up that they all got out in the end. Um, as far as I understand. So um, this was uh, the first time Metallica actually allowed their music to be used in a movie. Which is very interesting, because you know how Metallica is with the rights to their songs. Yeah. Uh, so, that's very interesting. Um, aftermath, uh, yeah, so basically they all entered plea deals, um, thankfully. Wow. So, um, wow, yeah. Literally, I'm shook here. Yeah, I'm honestly, like, when I was watching I don't know what it, else it just, to say. it just got crazier and crazier and crazier the, the longer I watched it. And there's and that was just the first movie. There's two other movies. Oh. Uh. <laughs> so, 
basically this entire community, including detectives, including the parents of the victims, which the parents of the victims I can understand, because, like, again, they want closure and they're religious. They're going to believe it's Satan. They're going to believe it. Um, and this was more of a this was more of a case of them uh, listening to Metallica than it was D and D, but D and D did come into play. Um, Damien, as I mentioned, there was a kid named Damien. Uh, he was asked about his familiarity with Aleister Crowley, um, that whether or not he liked reading Anton Lavey and Stephen King. Um, yeah, so like they were basically using all of this circumstantial shit to try and create a, basically a smear campaign against three teenagers wow. to convict them of ritualistically killing other children when they, like, it literally never happened. Um, so that's what's so interesting about, and so in the show, uh, in Stranger Things, as I mentioned, like, the town that they live in is not very big. It's like a pretty close-minded town. Mm. Um, and so the, it's the boyfriend, really, that starts going on this warpath for the character Eddie in the show, um, basically trying to say the same thing. So, like, he's, the, he's like, the heartthrob, like, all-American athlete, and this kid's just like, okay, this kid, obviously, he lives in a trailer, and he, like, no one likes him, and he's a drug dealer, and he plays D&D &D and listens to heavy metal. So, obviously, he must have done it. And all he must have roped all of his friends into it as well. So, again, in, I think that's it, it talks about less of the religious aspect of it, the, like, but Satan is definitely brought up. Like, they, they say, like, they have the group called the Hellfire Club. So, immediately, people see, see this, they see the logo, they see the name, and immediately they're going to think that it's had something to do with the devil. Mm -hmm. So, like, right off the face of it, it doesn't look good. But again, you're, you're trying to think about, okay, that's, that's assuming that the devil is real and actually has powers and can actually do anything to anybody. And then it's not just something that you decided was real and that you're deciding is now a real-life thing in the lives of other people who may or may not believe in Satan and decided that that actually had to do with anything in terms of a murder. Yeah. Yeah. A murder that, like, you know, yeah, and, and then the, the crazy thing is that it turned out that um, the, the conviction of the other two is very strongly based on the conviction of the first kid, which they actually, they separated them and they can, tried and convicted the one kid with the mental, with the disability um, in a separate trial. And then they tried the other two kids. So that was another thing that was really messed up and, and like really shady about it too, is that mm -hmm. they separated them and then based the confession that was clearly coerced yeah, uh, and used that as ammo to then convict the other two. Wow. So yeah, that was the thing. That, that came out in 1986. Um, and so this has now existed kind of to this day. And so we, we've got... We've got all sorts of things that are now be not not outright saying that it's because of the devil, but like we've got tons mm -hmm. of things that are coming out where it's it's being banned because it goes against Christian values. Like again, that isn't even said outright. It's very heavily implied, though. Like a lot of bans that are happening now are happening because of that Christian belief that's now going into schools and stuff like that. So um, that's kind of just basically the the key elements of what contributed to the satanic panic back in the 80s. Um, 
there were a lot of other things like um you know the um the wives of like the all the politicians getting together to like basically try and censor a lot of musicians that was a big thing that happened back in the day and a lot of that was because of latent christian uh family values type of you know rhetoric that was happening um so I think that's all I had to say about that one film. But yeah, if you haven't seen Paradise Lost, it's it's really good. And actually, um, the the other Stranger Things connection is that the name of the it wasn't even the actual father; it was a stepfather. Stepfather of one of the victims, Christopher Byers. His name was John. His name is John Mark Byers. Byers is the same last name as one of the characters in Stranger Things. Will Will Byers, Jonathan Byers, and uh, what's Winona Ryder's? character's name again uh, i want to say it's some i want to say it's someone with an l but anyway their their family is the buyers and so mm -hmm. that's the kid will is the kid who originally goes missing in the very first season yeah um and so it turns out and there, there's a whole thing where it's like they think they found the body but it wasn't a real body and then they actually have to go and find the real will mm -hmm. and uh and stuff like that so they actually, it's it. They're they're saying that the name was taken from this documentary. So it's kind of crazy. Um, basically, D and D has has not had the greatest rep, um, which is really unfortunate because, um, and like we've seen this with other types of games as well, um, but something that could very much help people and bring people together, it's it's getting a very bad reputation for kind of no reason other than just other people's per personal belief system. And, mm -hmm. and again, their interpretation of it that is not very accurate. Mm -hmm. um, even, even the dragon in Dungeons & Dragons has been interpreted by Christians as being synonymous with the devil because it's, a, it's like a snake. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a lizard, it's a serpent, right? A lot mm -hmm. of dragons are depicted as like wyverns with no back legs. It's like so they're basically like flying serpent. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people look at that, take one look at that, and they go, oh, that's clearly a serpent. That's like the serpent from Adam and Eve. That's like a, a big, giant, scary monster. That's clearly the devil. So a lot of people are, are just basing it off of that. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, you really just have to um, go, with, go with the idea that you know, this is this is a harmless game, like you said, and, and it, it brings a lot of people joy. Are there, you know, um, aspects of it that are a bit more supernatural and not always dark? But mm -hmm. the thing I like about D&D is there's a lot of dark and there's a lot of light. Like, it's not just like, one game that's like, oh, well, all of the, the gods and the entire pantheon are all, you know, uh, fiends or devils or mm -hmm. dragons or stuff like that. Like, you do get very celestial light beings. And, like, um, to that end where you have warlocks in the game, you also have classes like paladins, classes like clerics. Oh, right, exactly, yeah, paladins, of course are very... See, they even gave Christians a class, and they still complain. Yeah. <laughs> Typical. So, it's just like... It's Christian coded, and you still complain. Just play the game, guys, and you would have found out. Yeah. It's... 
It's, you it's, have your goody two shoes, you know. You can play the dollars. lawful good, yeah. you know, paladin or the lawful good cleric that's uh, mm. going around and preaching the word. But, uh, yeah, I think the thing I love about D&D is, is just being open to different races and people and classes mm. and just doing a collective story together. And, yeah, know, and even Dungeons & Dragons has had its criticisms about, like, you know, as you're saying, like, subconscious bias, like... Um, they've addressed that and, like, tried to, you know, change different terminology, different ways they word things, mm -hmm. different depictions of certain races in, in the uh, versions that they've come out with. Like, they've been criticized for, like, being racist and bigoted, like, subconsciously towards, like, Romani people, basically any non-white coded characters, yep. things like that, anti-Semitism kind of like a little bit Harry Potter style. Um, yeah. So, but they've actually like done some work to address those things. Yeah. And, um, cause nothing's perfect and they want to, like you said, they want to make sure that they're catering to as many people as possible and, and being inclusive and not offending as many people as possible. So how could that possibly be a bad thing? Yeah. And to that end, that actually made me think of something. They have this, uh, character race, which is called tieflings. Right. That are these, like, devilish, uh, you know, type race that has, like, a bit of, a bit of demon and, and fiend in their, um, mm -hmm. in their lineage. Uh, but, again, like, they almost, like, made a play, I think, on, like, what you were talking about with, with D&D being vilified in society, like, tieflings canonically are vilified even if they're the best you know yeah. the best people in the world automatically society sees them and it's actually it's actually in the lore of the game yeah. where they kind of tongue-in-cheek make this thing about oh well that's you know that's a devil person so automatically yeah. we're gonna think it's bad you know yeah so uh, I think it's but again, the devil in that game is not the Christian devil. Yeah, exactly. It's, 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 they're they're um, they're pointing out of certain stereotypes and and traits. Really, is as far as we can say, it, it may be related to some pagan stuff. Maybe again, like if the creators of the game may have had some sort of Christian religious affiliation, but it's not outright yeah. talking about them being demons in terms of a Christian demon. Yeah. In terms of Satan, in terms of the, the Christian devil. Yeah. It's it's a completely, like, as far as we can understand, specific to that game. Yeah. And so, again, like, where do Christians get off coming in and imposing their uh, perception of things onto something that, like, they're like, we were not, we were not going there with, with the Christian shit. So, like, why are you bringing that in and imbuing the game with that one that wasn't even what we were trying to do. Yeah. And again, like, it's again, a lot of um, evangelical sort of uh, religious people, a lot of, um, again, a lot of people who are taking literally to not... Oh, you're being so good. Yeah. Hey, Phobos, what hey, do you think hey, about hey. Dungeons and Dragons? He's like, I want to play. I want to yeah. play. I'm going to do a good job. I'm going to roll real good. Yeah. All the nat 20s. Yeah. He gonna he gonna bat them with his big paws. Yeah. 
Yeah, he table. is a big boy. All his rolls will be off the table. <laughs> he really is. He's a large cat. Yeah, he's he's quite, a he's a he's, big boy. He's quite a, he's quite a large tickle. He's a chunky boy, but we love him. But the thing is, like, he carries it well. A lot of it, I think, is the fur. It makes it look like he's a little bit bigger than he is. But, um, yeah, he's he's a pretty big cat. Um, when I took him to the vet, though, they were like, you're doing a really good job with the weight. Mm-hmm. And uh, they said he's doing a good job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Best heck and best And boy. he's very cuddly. Yeah, he's getting pretty cuddly. When it gets cold out, too, I'm loving, I love this time of year because he gets very cuddly. Yeah. And he's always so friendly to guests. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Phobos. God. Being part of you know that you know that that uh, oh, video. It's like we could put him in the truck. We could put him in the truck. We <laughs> <laughs> got put him in the truck. <laughs> Don't put my cat yeah. here. <laughs> the Uber skirts away. Where's my cat? Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Phobos was like, you know what, I'm, I'm fine with this. Yeah, he's like, don't kidnap me, strange lady. He's like, please kidnap me. Yeah. Get me out of here. So, um, yeah. Uh, and especially since it's, since D&D is coming back into popularity, like, there's always that chance um, that it could become the subject of, you know, somebody's campaign against you know, anything that's fun, because it goes against God. So there's always that, and, and, um, what I was going to mention here too is that, um, there's a, a lot of, there's another pivotal scene in the beginning of E.T. There's another, uh, I, again, I'm assuming that Stranger Things probably borrowed from this as well to do the show, but there's a, they're not playing specifically Dungeons and Dragons, but it's a game that's supposed to basically be Dungeons and Dragons. I'm assuming there was maybe some copyright stuff going on there. Waiting for pizza to come. Mm. So that's again, the fact that we have then, um, that it becomes meta in that sense in the movie too, because it's like they're playing the game and then it becomes, now they've got that happening in real life. Yeah. And, it's like not even what's happening on Earth. It's like this extraterrestrial force that's now like imposed them itself on their lives. Mm-hmm. And then they've got like the government and everyone else around them who's then decided that this thing is a threat. Mm-hmm. And they have they 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 lose control for a large part of the movie mm-hmm. because of you know a, a, and a lot of it's adults, right? Like this is adults who are mm-hmm. like imposing their beliefs and their will onto children mm-hmm. that's yeah. the that's the one thing that got me so much watching this oh and then there was another part that i was going to mention um uh, that i learned in the course of this research mm-hmm. there is a jail in wisconsin that com- uh, so like a lot of jails obviously allow you know board games and mm-hmm. you know a lot of role-playing games because it's something that inmates can do mm-hmm. without having to have access to technology. Mm-hmm, yeah. So D&D actually became very popular in prisons. There is a prison in Wisconsin, I'm going to look up the name, mm-hmm. I just saw it here, that has banned it because they claim it promotes gang activity. <laughs> yes. Dungeons and Dragons. Um, it is called the... Waupun Correctional Institution. 
And um, in 2010, they upheld a ban. The institution's gang, they have an institutional gang specialist hmm. who testified that D&D can foster an inmate's obsession with escaping from real life, correctional environment, fostering hostility, violence, and escape behavior. Hmm. What social institution that we've been talking about this whole time is very similar to prison? Not the church. Oh, no. <laughs> now, if I was a child and I had to grow up in the church, which would really want me to escape from that life, which seems very correctional, that fosters hostility, violence, and behavior that others people... Mm, and D&D provided an out to that, I think I would probably go with D&D, just saying. So, that's very interesting that this, um, but it's very interesting that, like, they must have had some kind of incident, mm -hmm. is what I'm assuming. Like, they're not just gonna say it promotes gang activity without something having happened, unless they're, like, actually fried. Literally an adventurer party. <laughs> But what if we took on the guards Yo. in real life? So my character's <laughs> gonna be from the crypts, and this character's gonna be from like the uh, the the cholos, and then this character's gonna be from the Nazis, and this character's gonna be like I bet you like maybe that's what happened. Like they picked like characters from all the different gangs. Evil and maybe, party. And maybe Evil it didn't party. work. <laughs> Evil party, yeah. Then maybe they shouldn't have let. Maybe they shouldn't have made a party with gay. <laughs> but the thing is, like, okay, you've already got gang members in jail, so the people playing the game are gonna be former gang or possibly current gang members. So it's very easy to like try and make that connection. Yeah. Like if they're outside of that environment, I don't think D&D &D is something that's going to make somebody turn into a gang member, a gangbanger, you know what I mean? Like, they already were one. Pop, most likely. So, I, I just don't see the, I just don't see how they, I think that's very much reaching. Yeah. In my opinion. Um, but also I think it's very funny that, like, the things that they're describing, like fostering people's obsessions with escaping from real life, correctional environment, mm -hmm. hostility, violence, like, that's just life. Like, mm -hmm. people want to escape from those things in life because that's what life is. Life is well, terrible and it makes you want to have escapism. That's the whole, like, thing. Why people love D&D. &D. Yeah. It's like, I don't have dragons in real life. I want to ride a dragon. I yeah. want to have magical powers. Like, that's why we play D&D. &D. Yeah, I want to be able to, like... Uh, feel like I accomplished something and, like, defeated an, an enemy and things yeah. like that. And I get that. I get that Christians probably want to do that too in the in the framework of what they consider the enemy to be. But it's like again, the the the, the word is in like the word is in the the name of the game. It's role role playing, right? Is that two words? <laughs> role role playing. <laughs> and also, very importantly, game. Yeah. So it's indicating that. It's, you're taking on a role that isn't real, no, like, knowing that you're then going to then hang that role up. Mm -hmm. And the game is that it is, it is very clearly stated that it is existing within a, a tangible but not real framework of a game, mm -hmm. just like a board game. 
Yeah. When you're done it, you know that game's over. Mm-hmm. As, and then uh, going back to like the quote of what, what Gary Gygax and a lot of other people said, if your children don't understand the difference, that's your job as a parent. Mm-hmm. To, like, and again, I'm not a parent. I don't have kids, so again, I'm not going to completely make any claims to how people should parent their children, but as somebody who grew up religious and had people in my family, some of some people in my family and a lot of people in the church try and influence how I was as a person, and then as I got older, realizing that much of my personal beliefs and how actual life is goes against that very much, and is, there's a huge disconnect there, I think that it's like, I figured that out for myself and didn't, like, completely lose my shit, but a lot of kids going through a change in hormones, a change in, like, responsibility, a change in perspective on thinking the world is one way and then realizing the world's actually a pretty fucking terrible place, mm-hmm. and, if you, and if as a parent or, like, as somebody in their life who's an authority figure, if you're not explaining to them what that means they're probably going to start having mental health crises. They're probably start going to start having anger issues. They're probably going to say and do things that are not not typical of what you know them to, to be doing. Mm-hmm. It's very possible that they could get violent and lash out and hurt people or hurt themselves. They're, they're mirroring behavior that they're probably learning from their parents or from their, their communities. People don't just wake up in the morning, or like, or they're reacting to not feeling like they can be themselves in their communities or around their parents. Like, people don't just wake up one day and decide to kill people or decide to kill themselves. Mm-hmm. It's either an extreme chemical imbalance or it's feeling like you don't have any other choice. Mm-hmm. Same with same with murdering someone. You're either really extremely messed up in the head and did not get some kind of treatment for that. Or you feel like there's no other option. And I think when it comes to a child, a parent trying to blame what happened to their child on, like, Satan instead of actually realizing, like, that was me. Like, what did I do to fuck this up? Or or realize that, you know, maybe nobody fucked anything up. Again, maybe they were just really ill. Maybe it was actually an accident. Maybe Maybe bad things just happened to people. And it has nothing to do with God or Satan or anything. But I understand that when parents are angry and when when religion's involved, it, it leads to people thinking that they found the answers when they haven't. Mm. But I think ultimately, like, if something like that happens to a kid, you, like, if you see those signs, you should get that kid help. You shouldn't blame it on on some imaginary evil force. And by extension, some game that has nothing to do with that whatsoever. Yeah, um, and, I and maybe think... turn the finger of blame back on, or, or on yourself as a parent, or just realize like shit happens and find your closure and stop trying to blame it on innocent people and imaginary shit. You and know? I think that's one thing to take away from not just D and D, but also just like. Life in general is sometimes, you know, you come up with the best laid plans, but you don't have all the answers, or something doesn't work out the way you want it to, and we, as people, kind of also have to be able to look introspectively and be like, you know, I messed up, 
And either yeah. I need to take accountability for that or I need to figure out a way to effectively communicate with whether it's my child, whether it's my parent, whether it's anybody else, mm-hmm. uh, even your adventuring party, to be like, hey, you know, I I made a mistake uh, or I, you know, I don't see this as a bad thing, but I, like, I want to learn. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to learn how it's affecting you. I want to learn how to do better as a person in yeah. order to adapt and move forward in our game or adapt and move forward in life. And that's yeah. the thing that I love about yeah. D&D is it, it teaches you all of these skills to not only investigate your surroundings, work with within a social party, but it also kind of makes you question yourself and mm-hmm. your your beliefs as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, and I think that, like, obviously there's, speaking to uh, situations I've been in, um, especially as somebody who's both new to, like, playing at at one point and as somebody who also most of the time presents as, as a woman, it can be very difficult to find some, um, some community within D&D. Um, but that's also, like, very true of other communities, as Christianity, as an example. Um, I would say that I felt much more welcomed in uh, RPG and gamer community than I did in a religious environment. Um, especially nowadays when it's a lot more... Like, I can imagine when Dungeons & Dragons first came out, I'm, I'm assuming there's probably a lot of sexism, among other things, going on in the game. Mm-hmm. So... Also, Christianity has those same problems, so it's not like Dungeons and Dragons is perfect, mm-hmm. and the players that like sort of helped to get the game to where it is, and the people who created it. I'm not saying they're perfect, but um, it, it's very much a thing where I feel like there's gatekeeping that goes on with D and D, but there's also again a lot of options for people who are on the fringes of society and don't feel like they belong. It's been somewhere where people like that have found a home. Yeah, and... And I think there's a big thing to be said for that. And what sucks is that then people turn around again and try and say that they're doing something bad. When they're they're like, you didn't accept me, so I, I found this group and I found this game and, and I'm and this is where, where people are content. Mm-hmm. And that's still not good enough. It's like, okay, well, like I'm, do, I'm off doing my own thing and just because it's not Christianity... You're going to come try and hate on us and turn it into something bad. Mm. So I think it's it's like when it comes to, uh, like, uh, you could you could be a religious person and still play Dungeons & Dragons. I totally believe that. Um, as long as you are aware that, like, a lot of the slander of Dungeons & Dragons is, is just that. So, um be interesting to see how that might play out, right? As like a super Christian person playing it. There are people but that, that I can see play how paladins like, like yeah. very like lawfully. Mm. Um, there's actually a really great addition uh, to paladins that they expanded on, and it's called the Oathbreaker Paladin, which is a paladin that has broken their oath to either their god, their crown, their way of life, and it's kind of. 
playing a paladin that is is more so um, I'm not I don't want to say selfish but more like open to the um, idea of uh, taking another path of self-discovery mm -hmm. uh, and there's a lot more way you can you can adapt to Oathbreaker Paladins, you know, you can go the evil route, like, they, you know, for whatever reason, you know, they've corrupted, they've or, corrupted, yeah. like, look at Game of Thrones, you know, and the Kingslayer, uh, Jamie Lannister, mm. uh, perfect example of, you or, know, someone um, that has broken away, um, or like, um, or Jon Snow, or even in the newest House of the Dragon, um, what's his face there, um, who uh, breaks his celibacy vow with Rhaenyra. Oh, yes, and, yes, yes, uh, uh, Kristen Cole. Yeah, Kristen. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so, and then that becomes sort of like a an example of where do you go from here when you make, when that's like, when as a, as a character, and, and, and I guess like to make it meta, like that character as like a person with a full background of devoting their life to something. To a, to, to a, to a, an, an possibly real, possibly not entity, and whatever, again, backstory will determine, I guess, why the oath was broken and the, the specifics of that. Mm -hmm. But then it's like, does that make you a bad person if you, quote-unquote, did that? Like, broke your oath? Um, is it selfish? Or is it, like, is are we saying it's okay to want to learn about different things. Yeah, and that's one way you can you can adapt it. And I think that that's one of the great things about D&D is you can get invested in your character uh, very much. My character, Cece, um, we, we learned uh, later on in our campaign uh, that she was basically an illegal immigrant in the kingdom and that she had fled her war-torn kingdom uh, because she had actually been what was considered in the world the first werewolf. She was actually captured uh, by these wizards that put this arcane magic in her and she doesn't understand one what she is but also she really sort of um, is a character that's very special to me because of her journey of self-discovery and her her journey of finding out you know oh um, I you know what what am I one but also to what kind of a person do I want to be you know mm -hmm. necessarily and I find that's what's so alluring in this sort of new wave of D&D &D because a lot more people are getting into um, the characterization and really sort of drawn to different people's stories within, right. you know, their, their worlds. So, um, yeah. And, and I think what's cool is that, um, like, I know definitely that there's, um, you know, there's people who are, you know, avid hardcore D&D players who I've met who are, like, extremely problematic and, and are not good representatives of, of the, the game and, and kind of what it stands for. And mm -hmm. But I've also met amazing people, and same with, 
same with religion. I've met people who um, have a personal relationship with with God, and 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 it's and it's it's there's community there, but it's also like a very individually minded approach. It's not groupthink. Mm-hmm. It's not like and what's interesting, like yeah, like self discovery and like introspection and stuff. The, the fundamentalist religions don't want you to do too much of that stuff because mm-hmm. it takes away too much from you being part of, you know, the religious hive mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're t- if you're too much of an individual, you can't devote enough of your time to spreading the word of your respective god, and they don't like that. Um, but in a lot of the more... Because I don't want... Again, I, I, as I said, I don't want to say that D&D is, is satanic in any way. I also don't want to paint a religion as being a bad thing. Uh, as much as like I have my own my own personal beliefs on certain things, um, religion is, is again based, I think, in large part, uh, like anything, by the people who largely form the base of it. Um, but you know there are things that can turn good and bad within that sort of thing. I think that there are many people I know who would consider themselves religious, but it's it's again it's more it's a both a cultural thing and also that they they've made a, a separate individual sort of understanding of their religion it's not like based on what everybody else tells them it's supposed to be mm-hmm. they've actually again had in um their own thoughts and opinions for themselves yeah. to come to conclusions of their own separate from the overarching dogmatic um decisions of a organized faith um, so I wish that religion could evolve and change and be as inclusive as, as RPG sometimes. Yeah. Cause it's like, you know, revisions are okay and revisiting things is cool. Mm-hmm. You know, like if things aren't exactly working, do an update, do a, you know, do a different edition. Maybe if there had been different editions of the Bible, we would be in a better place right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's getting <laughs> doing the speculation. Yeah, but yeah. Maybe sure there should be like a five E version of the Bible <sighs> with like some like some footnotes, some yeah. substantial footnotes. Yeah, <laughs> explaining some shit. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, but yeah, that that's gonna go into like a theological conversation. Yeah. Um, I want to keep it as I, I I'm trying my best to keep this as impartial as I can, even mm-hmm. though I have my own personal opinions about a lot of things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just because this time of year, like again, it's like the spooky time of year. And a people lot of love things, it. Like, a lot of things, like and especially yeah, like as I was saying before, with like the the true crime thing, um, and people just kind of gravitate towards like wanting to kind of think that stuff got some kind of evil sinister element to it because it kind of just makes it a little more exciting a little more spicy it's really but it's really i get it like think of all the villains that you know that are charismatic intelligent persuasive like Mm. all of the really like you know i think as children, we kind of, like, if we're going to get into, like, Disney and stuff like that, uh, like, we grow up as kids really sort of 
being drawn to, oh, you know, the princesses, the heroes, mm. that sort of thing. But when we grow up, more people that I've talked to actually gravitate towards the villains than they did originally, you know, the characters that they grew up idolizing. Mm. Like, literally... <laughs> <laughs> and we had a, we had we've had again like I mentioned before the villain era thing like yeah. we, we've had a little moment now where we are investigating more villains backstories because uh, like I was saying before people don't just wake up and decide to be villains mm -hmm. there's clearly most likely a progression of shit happening to you that kind of like may or may not lead you down that road mm -hmm. um there's also like the whole thing of like creating like villain redemptions with, where they aren't, I don't think, where they should be. That's a whole other thing too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, 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 you can go a little bit too far in giving credit to a villain, obviously. Yeah. Like you, you're not going to like say a complete, oh, well, because that stuff happened, they're a good person now. Mm. Um, and so but at the same time, you like still take it into consideration, like obviously, like this person is like that because their life was probably extremely fucked up. Yeah. And sometimes it's just, it's so, like, riveting to just watch a villain that is like, yeah, I, like, we get to know them, we understand them, they understand that they're redeemable, but they just want to burn it all down. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? And, and, <laughs> and, and as someone who knows people like that uh, from playing D&D, &D, just as an example, um, that, honestly, those are the more fun games. Yeah. you got you got to have that sort of, like, you know, people say they're devil's advocates and whatever, that sort of, sort of yeah. Uh, energy. Yeah. So, um, but rem again, remembering that in a lot of context of games, most of the time, those people are putting on a, an act. Like, they are going into the game, they've decided that they're going to be a villain for that game, and that's where it exists. Um, so that's another thing. I feel like with, with a lot of fundamentalist religion, it's like, you've got that persona on, that role that you're playing, excuse me, like 24-7. It never stops, but it is very much a role. It's a it's a fake persona, so it's like your your like your faith sona versus like what would you be like if you actually, you know, let in the rest of the world and didn't see everything through the lens of anything that doesn't say this in my book is the devil. Mm -hmm. So. In terms of uh, um, so in terms of like the the reference of D and D and like Stranger Things, for example, the um, the metaphysical like sort of demon. It's it's not really said it's if it's like a demonic element. Mm -hmm. It's just like a an evil element that has existed for many years that has now found a way to pass through to our realm. Mm -hmm. It's never it's never said outright that it is the devil or anything, right? Mm -hmm. So in the game, we can determine that, like, there's still this sort of inherent morality, like, this inherent idea that there is a good and a bad, mm -hmm. that there is a good and an evil, mm -hmm. that we're deciding that this group of people is the good guys, and the upside down, all this stuff, we're deciding these are the bad guys, yeah. and 
um, a lot of a lot of um, um, media, a lot of pop culture actually speaks to the fact where it's like we're uh, like Game of Thrones, like we were just talking about. There's a common yeah. enemy that now we're, we have to start fighting each other as enemies and then work together to fight this really, really bad enemy. Mm-hmm. And are we going to, again, take our ego and our pride and our previous prejudices and continue those? Or are we actually going to finally work together like we should have been this whole time? Mm-hmm. And then I think that's the whole thing about religion as well. I think that not enough is done between religions to bring all of the religions together. Mm-hmm. And I think that it, a lot of it is that it's still trying to divide. Mm-hmm. So using, uh, and, and every religion kind of has a concept of like a Satan or like a, a sort of like an evil energy or whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it an evil force. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of like putting that onto others and make, and like it creates this whole sort of like guilt, shame sort of spiral. Mm-hmm. And, um, it, it warps perception of reality, which is very funny because people claiming that this, the game Dungeons and Dragons is causing others to not have a perception of reality. And yet it's their very belief system. That's like, mm-hmm. that's bringing that compromising that. That's why it's, I also find it's interesting with the alignment system in D and D. Right. Like, yeah. But you were mentioning, so, so we're talking about chaotic and lawful and yeah. everything. So we didn't really talk about alignment at all, which is also a thing that a lot of people in pop culture try and um, assign, which I've noticed. Yeah. Better people, what the alignment chart of like sandwiches yeah. is a good example of that. Yeah. So like. What is a true neutral? So that's like our base sandwich. Mm. Is a peeps is a slice of pizza a sandwich? Mm. Is it is an open faced sandwich? If I folded it like this, is it now a sandwich? Yeah. So we're gonna call that like uh, chaotic evil, possibly. Yeah. <laughs> or like, a, is a hot dog a sandwich? Is a burrito a sandwich? Yeah. And I... Where do they fall on the alignment charts, right? So, like, ev- that's been done for, I think, pretty much... Alignment. Okay. So, uh, you have lawful good, which is, like, your crusader archetype. So, a lawful good character typically acts with compassion and always with honor and a sense of duty. I think we got a, a lot put in. And I, I completely forgot to address alignments because that's actually a very interesting part relating to religion because... Um, uh, and, and especially like the the levels of um, seriousness, I guess that you would get into in terms of fundamentalism, mm-hmm. um, that really tends to change people's alignment, right? Mm-hmm. And also your perception of what you believe in. And like, for example, somebody who thinks to themselves that they're lawful good could not be perceived that way to everyone else around them. Yeah, exactly. So that's a very good point. Um, these people that I mentioned in these examples of, like, the satanic panic of people going after Dungeons and Dragons and other things, like, saying that it's Satanism, they thought that they were doing good in doing this. Yeah. They really did. So it's, like, that alignment, like, is based on how they were raised and with, with certain beliefs, right? So that is also influencing very much both what people's alignments are, but also what outsiders are deciding what their alignment is. Mm-hmm. They could be com- two completely different, like, two completely different things, depending on who's deciding 
depending on what they see, right? Yeah. So, and then whatever's in the middle, which is usually the truth. <laughs> yeah, so lawful yeah. neutral, uh, you're like judges, so basically lawful concepts, but follows a personal code uh, in addition to, or even preference to, one set down by a benevolent authority, basically the soldier who always follows orders uh, without question, doesn't matter, good or bad, this mm -hmm. is the, the order, essentially. Yeah. Um, such as, like, a monk or someone that is just neutral party mm -hmm. is following whatever is, like, yeah. the situation calls for, essentially. And, like, how that can be interpreted of, like, is you, is you being unwavering and, mm. and picking a specific side, good or bad, based on the situation you're in? Because mm -hmm. so, depending on what the situation is, sometimes being a neutral diplomatic party is a good thing. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's considered apathetic or, or trying to play both sides. Yeah, and and, and uh, I think in terms of being good or bad, like yes, being good on the face of it, yes, everyone, I guess, what most people would say, being good, like how can you argue with that? But it's like somebody else's good, like someone's else, someone's good is somebody else's evil. Yeah, and that's uh, where you get into the true neutral, like undecided yeah. archetype of like someone that does not feel strongly towards any alignment whatsoever. That mm. is just like, okay, make your case. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, a perfect example is um, a typical druid might, uh, the example they gave in the second edition player's handbook was a typical druid might fight against a band of marauding uh, gnomes only to switch sides to save the gnomes clan from being totally exterminated. So, uh, is being neutral to, um, either party, essentially. Like, if we're going to steal a thing, yeah, I'm gonna help you steal the thing, but I might decide later that, oh, well, stealing the thing is putting this family out of their livelihood, so maybe I tip off the family that we're gonna come and yeah. steal the thing. You know, you may not be completely committed to, yeah, to that, um, that decision, right? Based on you know, situational, mm -hmm. different, different things that are kind of come up and change the precedent, mm -hmm. and therefore change your assessment of the situation and and your actions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you get into chaotic neutral, which is more of the free spirit. So like. A chaotic neutral character is someone that follows their own heart and generally shirks rules and traditions. So, like, uh, chaotic neutral characters promote the ideals of freedom and it's their freedom that comes first. Uh, yeah. Basically, they're, like, oh, I'm They're not acting in a specifically malicious way. Yeah. But they're not really acting towards the explicit good of others. They're literally just living for themselves. Yeah. Which is kind of like the true definition of a witch, I guess, if you really think about it. Yeah. Um, you're, 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 you're following your own free will, kind of, without any attachments of the labels of good and evil on it. Because you're just living for yourself. Yeah. You're living based on your personal will. But I guess depending on the type of 
which background you you ascribe to, you can put different ethical markers on that, right? Like you can say, as long as it's not hurting anyone, do what you will. Um, Whereas some other beliefs say it doesn't matter because those are just societal impositions Mm -hmm. and that's just society saying that you should act that way. Just act however the fuck you want. Yeah. But so again, very interesting social, social, um, perceptions based on the alignments. It's really cool. Yeah. And then you swing into the, the evil alignments. So you have the lawful evil, which is like the dominator, the person that feels, um, probably for example, um, like you could take an interpretation of Loki from the Avengers. He's like humans were made to be ruled. They were made to be like uh, dominated. So a lawful evil character sees a well-ordered system as mm-hmm. being easier to exploit uh, than to necessarily follow. Uh, so right. examples of this are corrupt officials, undiscriminating mm-hmm. mercenary cool. types. Exactly. So they're yeah. acting within the the constructs of the law, yeah. but is what they're doing actually good? Yeah. So, like, that that's a whole, again, yeah. just because something is legal or something is allowed by our laws or our society doesn't necessarily make it good or right. Yeah. So, that, but that's, it again, it's another alignment, and it's, or how do people act depending on how they're allowed to act. Yeah, and Loki talks all about this noble ambition that he has. Mm -hmm. So, uh, like, um, that really sort of... His, like, glorious purpose. Yeah, exactly. Like, this this feeling that, you know, he was made to do this and and, Mm -hmm. uh, is is definitely what I I would interpret as as Mm -hmm. lawful evil. Um, so then you have, like, a neutral evil, which is basically a neutral evil character is typically selfish and has no qualms about turning on allies in the moment. They're kind of, like, um, usually people that make allies primarily to further their own goals. Mm -hmm. So, uh, if you're a shady member that's a part of the heist, yeah, of course you're gonna be, you know, buddy-buddy with with the people until it comes time to collect the gold, then you're going to start stabbing people in the back because that was, that was your goal, right? Pretty much the, the premise for like any reality show. Yeah. Alliances. Yeah. You're, um, you're making friends until it's no longer convenient. Yeah. And another interesting, um, at interpretation of a neutral evil is, uh, evil as an ideal doing evil for evil's sake and trying mm. to spread its influence, right? Uh, sometimes you just have those characters that are like, yeah, I'm evil. Let's go do evil shit. <laughs> then you have, uh, this could also be attributed to Loki is chaotic evil, uh, chaotic evil character to, tends to have, um, you know, no respect for other people's lives or to do anything but what's within their own selfish desires. Yeah. Um, and, and they set a high value on personal freedom and do not have much regard for lives or the freedom of other people. So, um, examples, uh, of this are like, uh, violent killers who strike for pleasure rather than profit, mm-hmm. um, or, or, you know, 
people that resent being given orders. Right. Yeah. Hmm. And then, um, one of the interesting things is you can also come across unaligned characters, creatures that aren't, like, intelligent or sapient enough to make decisions for themselves. Um, so they're, they rely typically based on instinct. So, like, these are, like, your beasts and creatures that you might come into contact with Mm -hmm. that are, like, for example, uh, sharks are savage predators in everyday life. And they're not evil, but they're vilified because of their, their basic animal behavior. They're vilified in the context of what a human would or wouldn't do. Yeah. But if you look at them from, like, their perspective, they're just, there's blood in the water. You're gonna attack it because it's fair. Yeah. <laughs> you're in if you're in my space as a shark, to like fuck around and find out. Yeah. Like it wasn't my fault you human in my shark area. Yeah. <laughs> right. So. And in terms of like again, could, how can you say an animal is good, bad, or whatever? They're an animal, like you said. They're they don't they're not held to the same principles and rules of humans. And they act based on different criteria. Yeah, they don't even know what morality is. You know? So. Like, are you going to say Harambe was good, bad, or whatever? <laughs> Harambe, Harambe was an animal in a situation that humans imposed on it. Oh my god. I, remember, I just thought of Harambe as an example of that. But, like, that's the thing, though. Har- people literally act like Harambe, like, like you know, did something that, like, a fucking serial killer would do. Oh it's a fucking gosh. animal! Like, that, like, anyway. <laughs> but it's, like, that. that's what I mean. Because it's it's people putting their ideas of what's good and bad on, like, a completely irrelevant situation. Yeah. And, like, yeah, the idea of, of it being, like, um, something that we could never possibly relate to, and then as humans we're trying to put some kind of, like, ethical semantics on that. Like, yeah. it makes literally no sense to me. Yeah. But that that's, that. see, that's the alignments, um, because I feel like a lot of, like, if you get into religion and stuff, you immediately think that your alignment is good. Yeah. And that you, like, you feel like you know exactly what's going on, and that you've been, like you're saying, like, with the whole... Loki example, like, something spoken to you, this higher power, and that you have been been told that you need to carry out this word, that you need to carry out this this mission, and it's, and it gets into a very culty territory in terms of that, and I wonder to what extent people actually stop and realize, like, the mission that I'm being asked to carry out, like, to what, to what end, like, is it, is it actually, like, taking away from rights of other people is actually affecting the lives of other people in a bad way. Yeah. Or do I just keep telling myself it's good because that's what I've been told the whole time. Mm. And so like that, yeah, alignments are, alignments are set on this chart, but at the same time, it's interesting that they can be so, so subjective. Yeah. And sometimes you really can't put a character in a certain box. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a guideline. Yeah. It's more so uh, something to help with the early stages, in my opinion, the early stages of the development of your character, but everything from there on out is kind of gray area. Like, 
you can start out as being a character that has very good intentions and then, you know, half of your party dies and what does that do to your character? You know what I mean? For sure. Like, there's been, uh, I think it was, I forget the TikTok, uh, Earl or plug that, uh, that it was, but, um, also showing my age here <laughs> as a millennial, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but uh, <laughs> I think it's it's also like I was watching this campaign where literally that was the BBEG mm-hmm. was this uh, adventuring party went after in the beginning episode one a group of bandits they left one guy alive and then that guy became the bbeg at the end that was like you killed my party like yeah. uh prepare to die <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so then it's like we to to them to that boss like we're the evil like yeah. we're the we're we're the and then looking back it's like oh no but that's but and and then what's so interesting is how that's kind of like a microcosm of history. So like whoever wins that battle gets to decide what the truth. Yeah, exactly. Is. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting. Like, who are we to say when like going into someone else's space and saying, "Oh, well, we are in your space, but you're the bad guy." Okay, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And so, uh, I guess to kind of wrap this up, um, I, I honestly think this was pretty solid. I think we touched on a lot of really good points. Yeah, and, definitely. Um, and and uh, to kind of bring it back to that, because um, I, I after I guess hearing everything you've heard in the in the course of this podcast. Um, I guess I wanted to ask you before we kind of wrap things up, um, what would I, I guess for people who are, um, I guess both for yourself or for both for yourself, learning all this kind of new information and both for everyone else at home, um, what would be your kind of, uh, takeaway in terms of, um, I guess supporting, uh, supporting the game as a whole, um, I guess, like, sort of closing statements, because I think it's good to acknowledge that, like, we've, we've seen all the different sides of things, um, and, but I think ultimately, like, I guess our, our argument, at the end of the day, I guess my argument anyway, is that, um, you know, if you want to play this as a, as a game, it's, it's harmless, it's very, much something that's going to bring people together and doesn't have any satanic elements. Um, so, uh, as, as it, in terms of, I guess, uh, talking about what the future of Dungeons and Dragons could hold, I guess, and sort of talking about, um, with, with all the knowledge that that's kind of out there now about, you know, um, about the positives and negatives of it, I guess, what would be, like, your sort of takeaway statement about it that you want to, like, let people know about? Like, I guess, representative you as a player, as a DM, as somebody who is kind of, like, passionate about that sort of thing. I think, for me, um, I see D&D sort of 
just evolving and becoming more accessible to people and more widely accepted just because it's gone from being something that's very, you know, structured and niche and like playing it in your basement, you know, at your grandma's house, basically. Yeah. I think it's gone from that to becoming something that's bigger because I love a lot in part of just watching other people's campaigns. Like that's a huge thing nowadays is to just watch other people's campaigns because yeah. it's not about, I mean, at the end, yes, it can be a good story. Yes, it can be, you know, some really great characters and and moments and stuff like that. But D&D is really just in in for me at least uh, is just a expression of humanity. It's like at the end of the day, you know, these are the characters that we're playing. These are the stories we want to tell. And and these are, you know, the the points that, that we're telling these stories for a reason, you know. Yeah. Like, um, I think everyone, you know, uh, to an extent takes a part of themselves and puts it into their characters. And I think that's what's mm -hmm. so entertaining nowadays. Uh, to to watch D and D become is just people expressing themselves and telling a story. So if you're yeah. gonna pick up D and D, I say pick it up because yeah. uh, it's it's a great way to yeah. get to know people and make some friends and uh, and really have a good time. Perfect. I like that. Yeah, I I like the the um, like extension of humanity. I think I, uh, that's a good way of putting it, and um, to just, yeah, to just get started if you're not sure, to just, you know, just nah. think about just it, try it out. Think about it this yeah. way. Back in the days, we told stories around campfires. We're just doing it with dice now. <laughs> yeah, we have, we have a little bit more of a contained fire uh, situation. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, we're, we're, instead of just, you know, raw-dogging it with stories, we're, um... We've got, you know, some things to help us. We've got dice, we've got, you know, like a character sheet, we've got our manuals, we've got um, a whole bunch of knowledgeable people that came before us to help us if we get stuck. And I think that um, that plus, you know, whatever creativity you bring to the, like, literal or figurative table um, is probably going to end well for you if you just, you know, give it a chance. And, uh, like everything, you know, like we're at the end of the day with, um, you know, or organized anything, uh, ask lots of questions, ask lots of questions and come to your own conclusions is, is what I would say for anything, no matter what it is. Yeah. I don't want to like put one type of thing over another, but it's always so important to, you know, come in with an open mind, ask lots of questions. Don't take yourself too fucking seriously, <laughs> yeah. and just just you know be prepared to give it your all, but like just just have a good time and and make sure that everyone else around you is having a good time too. Yeah. So um, with that, I think that's a good place to end it for for now. Um, and I think that we we did a good job. We we crushed the topics. We crushed yeah. the pizza. We crushed the drinks. Yeah. Um. I'm I'm. I'm so happy that you came to visit. Well, thank this you so much for having me. So amazing, and um, I I couldn't have asked for a better host, co-host, and 
Um, I, I wish you all the best with what's coming up with you. Yeah. With your life, your podcast. Thank um, you so much. Your oh campaigns and, and everything. And, um, yeah, uh, I think that uh, already kind of halfway through the, the Halloween spooky content, I think that um, this this couldn't have turned out better. Yeah. So thank you so much again, Sarah. And uh, I will, I'm just going to creepily come back over to the <laughs> to the computer here. Bye guys! And we say goodbye because I have to do the play out the music. <laughs> and um, once again, uh, if anybody is ever interested in co-hosting or um, doing shameless plugs or any kind of that um, information that you want to add to uh, the podcast, please let us know. Um, I will always be open to uh, letting anybody contribute uh, if you have a special interest that is pop culture related that you would ever like to um, add to the list let me know and once again this is Fantasy Tavern Podcast signing off for another episode thank you Woo-hoo! and we'll see you next time bye, bye. Yeah, that was super fun.